0: It. It's a new day! Yes, it is! I am Vaughn Johnson. You got me
1: mad now.
0: You, know, you got a bicycle! I'm feeling good. All well, the st- skeptics and all the people have a little bit build- Let me do this again. Oh, it's live, pal. sorry.
2: We ride the bicycle in this arena.
0: With my man-man pots and pans, Nick McCone. That's me. I don't
2: know what the kid is that was a- riding it, but he ain't on it when they brought it to the ring.
0: Smile night you can kick your face off. I don't know the man! But I don't like it when things aren't going my way.
1: Don't
0: you dare be sour!
1: You don't know nothing else. He <laughs> you
0: know that wrestling, bro. <laughs>
1: give me a hell, yeah! I said, give me a hell, yeah!
0: What's up, ladies and gentlemen, out there in internet land, and welcome to episode two sixty-four of the Straight Shooters which is available wherever podcasts are found. My name is Vaughn Johnson, and I'm joined as always by my main man, Pots and Pans, Nick McCone of Philly Voice and Philly Influencer. And yes, we have a yet another fantastic show ahead of us tonight. We're doing another deep dive. We've doing a lot of these lately people like them got good feedback about them we're going to continue to do them they're a lot of fun and we got some other types of shows coming up later in the year including a holiday wish list for professional wrestling we're going to do some other deep dives just not just wrestling shows but on movies coming up wrestling related movies and stuff like that so that's all coming later in the in this year or next couple weeks i should say not later this year the year is almost over um but let next couple weeks into the new year we'll tell you about that when we you know figure out all the formalities but for tonight's show we're going to deep dive into a show twenty years ago. Last week, it took place back on December tenth, two thousand. We're recording this on December sixteenth, twenty twenty. Um, we're deep diving into a WWF show, not WCW. This week, I know people we've been doing a lot of WCW lately, but this week we're doing Armageddon two thousand from WWE, of course, which is the show is headlined. Which is really a—it's a, a one-match show, but there are other matches on the show. But the main match to see on this show is the six-man Hell in a Cell match for the World Wrestling Federation Championship, and we're going to talk about that and so much more about this show. But before we get into all of that, I got to do my weekly check-in with my main man pots and Pants, Nick McCone. How are you doing tonight, my good brother? Doctor Giggles was
2: rated R according to IMDb, so.
0: There you go. So uh, <laughs> we had a pre-show discussion and about Dr. Giggles, for those that don't know. Of course you didn't know. You didn't hear it. But it was before we <laughs> we hit the record button. And I didn't know. Well, Nick asked whether it was rated R. I couldn't find out whether it was or not. And Nick just confirmed that so, it was yeah. indeed Rated R. Doing your, the horror, uh, mo- the uh, p- horror uh, movie from the 90s, Dr. Giggles. <laughs> a a, a so, movie yes. that
2: I saw, which begot the whole discussion of uh, what it was rated, I actually did see that mm-hmm. movie, and Vaughn was kind of perplexed how... I didn't see Predator, but I but I saw Dr. Giggles, so... You
0: didn't see Predator, <laughs> you didn't see Friday, you didn't, there's so many movies. Uh, there, yeah, I definitely gotta you've get seen, on that at some point. You've seen Dr. Giggles and <laughs> Paid in Full, <laughs> and that's it. Yeah.
2: <laughs> And like rookie year Sandlot, Oh, Sandlot,
0: okay. Sandlot, that's a dope so. movie.
2: You know what I did watch uh, not too long ago? The Little Giants.
0: Man, my movie. favorite football movie of all time. <laughs> really? I'm dead serious. Okay. I'm okay. so serious. I love that movie. All right, baby. we'll uh, do we should a deep, deep dive, dive on that one day. <laughs> so that's what I, was gonna say. <laughs> I love Little Giants. I probably watched it once a year. It it's just gr- it, go ahead.
2: No, I was going to say it's great. I forget exactly uh, where it was on. It was streaming on something. I don't remember if it was Xfinity oh, On Demand or or what, but I remember watching it. It was like a Saturday
0: night. I like, just watched The Little Giants. It's awesome. Bruh. It's a classic. It is. When I was playing football in high school, we used to make references to that movie every day. <laughs> like when the kid gets dragged and by, uh, by Spike during the games, <laughs> I should have gone to summer, summer school. school. <laughs> or when... The kid gets ran over by Spike, yeah. and he's like, "Oh, he knocked him back to second yeah. grade."
2: <laughs> yeah. And he was like talking out of his butt, fart out of his mouth. Yeah, like,
0: <laughs> yo, you talk about funny, man. Yeah, I'm gonna hit great. you so hard, Talking out of your farting out of your mouth and talking out of your butt <laughs> is that possible? <laughs> then boom, the next
2: scene happens, and he's talking out of his butt. Yeah. He's like, like oh, "I guess it uh, is." <laughs>
0: I love that movie. Literally, <laughs> like I said, my favorite football movie. More than any given Sunday. Friday Night Lights. Uh, okay. Remember the should... Titans. I love Remember the Titans. It's a great movie, too. Yeah, that is. Uh, you know, Waterboy or Necessary Roughness. <laughs> those <laughs> yeah. types. All those movies. The Program. um, Little Giants, bro. Like, uh-huh. I just... I, it just takes me back to a time, at least for me as a little kid, when football was just football, it's just, you just just went out and played and it was just fun and you got dirty and you went home and your mom got mad at you (laughs) for getting (laughs) clothes dirty and you ate dinner and you watched TV after that. Maybe some wrestling, maybe some sports, whatever the case may be. But it was just like, man, football is just football. And it's still just football. It's great to have that feeling, you know, as we get older, we realize the business side of football and everything else that comes with it and all the hard work that goes into it for a lot of the players and in the business side too. But man, it just takes me back. It just takes me back to like an innocent time of all of our lives. I think as kids, we just run out and play, especially football. It's just like this is, let's just play the game of football, and it's just fun. You got John Madden in there drawing up to yeah, play yeah. on the side of the bus. I was actually on that bus at, at the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame.
2: Nice. Last I don't year, I did not even know. Oh, no, that dope. makes sense that I was there. That's awesome
0: yeah the mad cruiser man the original well, i don't know if that's original but it was dope i know that i'm
2: pretty sure that that's where they were on their way to canton in the movie yeah he yeah.
0: <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> was i went here and here and there and i don't know where the heck i am <laughs> then boom this is where
2: i wind up I that my hand. do i get credit for that that i watched that like for yeah me? you get credit for that like oh, oh, okay. one of my favorite movies all man. right awesome you
0: get credit for awesome. that when definitely ed o'neill trying to Tackle the couch cushion and his wife. He's like, <laughs> yeah. "Hey, honey, hold the, hold the couch cushion." <laughs> the, the race Brad.
2: to get Spike and the, Rick Moranis was in that little <laughs> dinky like car, <laughs> and, and he edits in the like the big Mercedes or whatever it was, and uh, it was just fantastic.
0: Before he leaves the car dealership, he tells us tells Butts, Coach Butts, <laughs> he's like, "You want to surprise me, Butts? Yeah, sell a car, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and this leaves. leaves." <laughs> all right, right. we got to stop talking about, i can talk about <laughs> little giants for hours yeah it's we'll definitely have to do a deep movies. dive on that
2: and oh listen man. one we may have to do a deep dive on another movie that i watched this weekend yes that's two movies in two oh my weeks God. ghostbusters one amazing
0: have you not seen it before no I, I have the, okay. one of
2: my favorites so i've seen that and ghostbusters 2 uh two of my favorites of all time and i just decided it was like available to watch on one of the streaming uh devices it might have been on on demand on Xfinity again, and uh, I think I just like searched it to see if it was available for free, and it was, and it not in my package, so I just watched it. It was awesome. Dope. Ghostbusters one and of memories.
0: two. Ghostbusters one and two definitely dope. But absolutely, like I said, Little Giants is probably you got all the the legend, the, the the top players like Emmett Smith, Bruce <laughs> Smith, <laughs> <laughs> Tim Brown, yeah. and then they do the intimidation thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Bruce Smith crushes the football and just tosses it to the side. <laughs> and then they run after him, and he scares them all away. That's great. I love that. That movie's so great. It's just a great kids movie. We may we may have to movie. we
2: might have to uh, revisit our plans for the rest of the year. Maybe we do it next week.
0: <laughs> for real. Oh, my favorite line. I got the last thing. My favorite line in the whole movie <laughs> is when Icebox dumps the cheer the pom poms, and she goes to the locker room, gets her pads, and she comes out. And she's gonna <laughs> yeah, play. Yeah, and she's walking going. onto the field and I guess Spike's dad is like, Hey, a cheerleader can't yeah, play. Yeah. And and Ed O'Neill is like or I guess Coach O'Shea, he is in the movie Kevin O'Shea. Yeah, yeah. He's like, That's no that's no cheerleader. That's my niece. And she's pissed. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> and she's pissed. That was great. <laughs> like he knew he was in trouble when she came out ice like, icebox.
2: The funny part is I remember kinda like you see the good characteristics of that character come out, of Ed O'Neill's character come out at that time, you know, and then Spike lands a cheap shot on Junior, which is why Becky uh, comes in the game. And, you know, he's like, hey, we don't win like that to to Spike's dad. So I was like, yeah, like, I kind of want to root for him, but I know he's still a jerk. It was kind of like, as a kid, I was like, I don't know what to do, you know. So I enjoyed that kind of
0: like, yeah, I enjoyed that. Classic movie. So far, uh... The hot hands I, I dropped a pass one time <laughs> yeah. in high school somebody called me hot hands i was so dis- so depressed <laughs> after that like you can't call, you can't call me hot hands bro i listen I did, get, I did get the uh the uh the, the was it, it was a pine tar or something like that yeah, was it? Oh, stick yeah. Em. it
2: was stick them St- and
0: uh I, I can't get to stick them on my hands and on my jersey bro like i can't <laughs> they can't call me hot hands Oh man!
2: Just the sheer terror on his face when he knows that he's screwed after like <laughs> before the play. <laughs> he's running down the field, yeah. like yeah. trying to
0: on his chest. <laughs>
2: That's a great moment of that. One of the underrated moments of that movie, maybe like the funniest part, because I was literally laughing out loud.
0: Yeah. So we should definitely either deep dive or live commentate or something probably i don't know man it's just <laughs> well, a I'd commentate
2: i would be up for too I mean, it's, it would so be, good. It, it's almost a two hour long movie but it's not exact. like it flew by because i remember i remembered how much i loved it and then it didn't really feel like an hour or 45 minutes or whatever it was
0: so it's so good yeah it's so good also transitioning out of little giants very good uh not really armageddon 2000 as an event but the main event was fantastic yeah so yeah for one let me kind of set the stage at 2000 for me and i we talked about this in the past episode of the straight shooters honestly 1997 was a year that all three promotions in north america with the you know ecw wcw and wwf had a lot of good things going but 2000 probably my favorite year mo- only because of wwf obviously not because of wcw But because WWF had, I mean, I don't know if they had a bad pay-per-view throughout the entire year, and it was mainly because they had so much depth on his roster, and from the main event scene, which all these guys were in, maybe not necessarily Kishi, but, you know, they kind of put him in this spot to, like, the upper-mid-card kind of main event scene with Jericho and Benoit and Kurt, you know, not Kurt Angle, he was in the main events, but... know those guys like in the tag teams with the hardy boys Edge and christian dudley boys even too cool was a top tag team at points in 2000 the women were pretty hot uh there was so much going on in 2000 yeah Yeah. business was booming ratings was booming wwe or f whatever you want to call it had hit its stride like not to say they didn't hit the stride in 98 because business was booming in 98 Uh, But I don't think the depth was quite there. Same with 99. I think business was booming still. But the depth of stars and workers necessarily weren't there. Then 2000 hit. And guys like Chris Jericho started getting featured more in a more prominent role. Guys like Kurt Angle started coming up. They brought in the Radicals. And and those tag teams were getting prominently featured. Instead of the Headbangers and DOA, you had Edge and Christian, Hardy Boys, and... Uh, the Dudley Boys as the main three. You had the APA was out there too, and like I said, Two Cool as well. They had really hit their stride in 2000. From a from a work standpoint, from a storyline standpoint, I think the storylines were better in 2000 for the most part. And I, you look at the up and down this roster. There weren't many people that just flat out weren't over, <laughs> like who didn't get reactions or who wasn't a star. It was just they had a ridiculous year in 2000. I don't know if they can ever replicate ever again.
2: It would be really hard for me to see a way that they could, (laughs) even if they completely overhaul their current philosophy and products. It's going to take years, maybe like even 10 years to even get to that point. Um, Social media may help in this day and age, but uh, what they were doing on December 10th, 2000 was out of this world honestly and so different for me as a fan as well i was loving every minute of it but at the same time it was so different than what i had grown up with in in like the early 90s and mid 90s that i was just kind of like i I thought this would be the norm from now on and obviously it wasn't but
0: it's just this wasn't even like that great of a show and it it wasn't wwf show brutal (laughs) it (laughs) wasn't even wwf's best show of the year but not even close i would WWF's best show that year from top to bottom was probably SummerSlam, maybe? I, I, would, I wouldn't say WrestleMania was. I, I would know. I would go either the Royal Rumble. Yeah. Was dope. Yeah.
2: I was going to say Royal Rumble or No Way Out just uh based on the story, the biggest story going in and right. seemed like I'm everything else like, was kind yeah, cause of Yeah, cuz SummerSlam had slept. the Triple
0: Threat, SummerSlam had the Triple Threat main event and it had the first TLC. What was, I don't
2: even remember SummerSlam main event. That's,
0: it was the Rock, Kurt Angle, and Triple H. Okay. I, I that was prob- when Triple H and Kurt Angle had that love triangle going with uh, uh, Stephanie and stuff like that. Oh, wow. I th- for some reason, but I also, thought that was after this, but wow. No, the Fully Loaded the month before had, I think it was Rock versus Benoit, right, yes,
2: yeah, Jericho I, I versus remember.
0: Triple H, Undertaker right. versus Angle.
2: Right, and I remember making a big deal about it, seeing it being made a big deal because WWF was pushing new stars and younger stars, right. and they, that was like a triple main event. They were kind of pushing uh, on that pay per view, so I definitely remember that one. I can't believe I don't remember Summerslam that well. Yeah, bad, I mean, it wasn't like for me.
0: <laughs> it wasn't like every match was like a like a banger, but those two matches, I, those top two matches, were crazy. Mm-hmm. Like the mm-hmm. TLC match and the Triple Threat, even though Kurt Angle was concussed for. a, Large portion of that triple threat uh, uh,
2: was that the match that he was. Yeah, I I remember reading about that, hearing about it. I just I don't haven't watched Summerslam 2000 in so long, and it, I think the TLC match is the only match I've watched uh, recently. Mm. I haven't watched the whole show in a while, so that's probably why yeah. I don't remember as much.
0: Big big year for WWF overall, and it culminated with Armageddon 2000 with this six man Hell in a Cell match. You got Kurt Angle defending the WWF championship against Steve Austin, The Rock, Undertaker, Triple H, Rikishi. And that's it, right? A whole bunch of nobodies. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. I took a lot of notes on this match. Surprisingly, Yeah. Yeah, All those guys. And as much as that sounded like a cluster and a half, it turned out great. We're going to talk about it later in the show. But we got a lot more show before that. Uh, Almost three hours worth of show. Hmm. Uh, before that but yeah well, just kind of what do you remember about 2000 because I, like I said I remember it's like my favorite year that's when you know I was watching every single show and everything was hitting on all cylinders and kind of you could kind of tell in 2001 the tone had kind of shifted when they got WCW when they bought it mm-hmm. and things didn't weren't quite as good after that but in <laughs> 2000 they had to hit a sweet spot
2: yeah I was in my sophomore year of high school uh, during this pay-per-view I had Obviously started in uh, September that year, so my fandom definitely kind of changed once WCW was bought and uh, they started doing things that way. I was—I mean, I watched every week, but like I wasn't invested, I guess, as much as I thought I would be, and it's probably due to the invasion and the lack of star power. So, in, in this point, I was probably reaching like the apex of my Attitude Era fandom, and uh, I remember. Like, you know, back then, I wasn't worried about work rate or even the mid card. I was like, like you said, everybody had a storyline basically. And that's what kind of kept me in- enthralled by it. Uh, I mean, during the European Championship match, I probably went to the bathroom, got something to eat, something huh. like that. Like those. The problem with that, and maybe me as a fan at that point, <laughs> if it wasn't the main event or like a tag team match because the WWF's tag team division was on fire at this point. Um, I really wasn't, like, that invested in whoever won. I was just kind of like, I don't even care what happened during the match. I didn't care about the stories being told during the match. I was just kind of like, all right, let's – can't wait for this to be over. And on this night, I remember I was kind of excited for the main event. And when I was watching it that night, I thought it was terrible. And I Hmm. thought – you know, the big Rikishi bump was stupid because it was clear that it wasn't even, like, the same as the Mankind bump. And so I was, you know, one of those marks uh, that was night. Like you, were, you were a mark oh, I marker. was bad. I was bad. I was probably so disrespectful. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was at that point I was just kind of like, eh. Like you said earlier, it's kind of like a one-match show for me. Uh, I mean I watched everything else I just wasn't invested I just couldn't wait for the main event and that night I thought the main event was terrible but watching it back I could really appreciate it and I actually really enjoyed it
0: yeah it was it was a lot of fun and maybe because I haven't gone back and really watched a lot of 2000 WWF it was still a lot of fun just to go back and watch a show from 2000 even though this is the end of 2000 Um, but still a lot of fun to watch that main event but like I said there's a whole lot of show Before that, so let's start from the very beginning. Of course, this show, again, took place December tenth, 2000, from the Birmingham Jefferson Civic Center in Birmingham, Alabama. It is now known as the Birmingham Jefferson Convention Complex, so a little tweak in the name there uh, for the building. Uh, According to Wikipedia, of course, there were 14,920 people in attendance, Uh, so I think a sellout? Looked like a sellout. Um, Yeah. So a lot of people for Armageddon (laughs) in Alabama, yeah. Yeah.
2: Like the best part of our Armageddon at this point for me was the logo. I thought they and the graphics, like it was, they never spared any expense with that type of stuff. And back then, uh, it was absolutely awesome, and I loved. I even loved, you know, the video package in the beginning and all that. So I was was never really, I was never really into it. I was just like, okay, let's get this over with. I want to see action. Uh, That's kind of like how I was back then. But watching it back for this show, uh, I really enjoyed every moment of it.
0: Yeah, the, the video package had the, the song, the, the end is near yeah. song, and the a lot this of nuclear I
2: remember
0: that, it. it. Brought that, back memories. That's kind of close. That's kind of close <laughs> to how you sounded. Um, but a lot your, of nuclear explosions. Your dog's explosions. not a fan. Your dog's not a no, fan. No, my dog my is thing. going crazy. I'm, I'm, this dog is ridiculous. <laughs> um, and I'm not even on the same floor as this dog, by the way. Um, mm. But. Uh, the dog not the dog, the video. <laughs> Threw me off, Nick, by mentioning my dog. I'll try to, I'll do my best to ignore him. Um, All right, I'll try to ignore it. <laughs> but I heard it again. The video had a lot of nuclear explosions and devastation and stuff like that. It was kind of weird. This is like we're just making light of the so, fact that people are victims yeah. of nuclear explosions. That's like, true.
2: That's true. You like you know. It's like what is this? WCW World War Three? Like, come on.
0: Yeah, I don't know. weird. Um, the theme song for the show, if you watch this on the WWE Network, you would never know this. But the theme song for the show, and I remember this vividly because they played it a ton, was <laughs> Sweet Home Alabama by Lyndon Skinner And I guess they paid for it. They were like, well, we're going to play it every chance we got. <laughs> so I remember hearing that over and over again because the show, again, was in Birmingham, Alabama. Didn't really fit the little, whole end of the world theme, but you're in alabama you get a chance to use london skinner i guess you're going to use it so is that what that said what it was the actual theme of this show that was a theme song yeah you don't remember hearing that song what when you listen to some ww network you hear a knockoff version of that song but i thought it was uh the doors and the end did i miss that it was that song too that that song in the beginning
2: oh okay but,
0: when they played, the like, the song they would play throughout the show, that little knockoff, like, guitar song they had, uh, like, the generic song. You know
2: what? Probably didn't even notice it. How funny right, is that? Right,
0: that's what I'm saying. <laughs> you would never know if you just listened to the WWE Network. Wow. But the actual song was Leonard Skinner's Sweet Home Alabama. You know Trust what? me on that one. You know what? This is why... I have,
2: like, all those tapes in storage. This is why I don't want to get rid of them. Like, somehow I got to convert these VHSs to DVDs and at some point for the original, like, really the original show and see all these different things that WWE edited uh, for the network version. But, yeah, I would have never picked that up.
0: Yeah. If, if tony, you didn't mention it. Tony, it, it, that was the song. I remember hearing that song a ton for that, Sweet, uh, show <laughs> Sweet Home Alabama for Armageddon Oh my goodness Right it just it didn't make any sense But trust me on this one I remember hearing that song a lot I remember hearing that song a lot And it, Like I said they played it a lot And every time like you said you hear that little Kind of funky little song they would play During the show Yeah, That was covering up Sweet Home Alabama I don't hmm. know why I remember that vividly because I couldn't tell you the, the theme songs to most shows, almost any of them, but I remember that one for some reason. So, all right. All right. Well, <laughs> they showed the arena. The arena was packed, but even WWF New York was packed. Like, people went to a restaurant. Can you imagine this? In, well, not really in 2020. You can't imagine it now, but 2019 or hopefully in 2021. People packing a restaurant in Manhattan to watch a WWE pay per view.
2: Uh, I think you would have to pay people to go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, think about that. You go. You'd yeah. go to the arena. You'd go to the show. You might, if the if you if you know of a bar in your town that shows WWE pay per views, you and a couple of your friends might go, right? <laughs> go hang out at the bar. They're showing it, mm-hmm. right? Um. But could you imagine, this is is a WWF restaurant, So, but still, (laughs) can you imagine any restaurant in the last five years being packed to the gills with people there to watch wrestling? Uh, Five years? Not boxing, not MMA, not Mayweather, not not McGregor, not any of the top fighters to watch wrestling. Uh,
2: Buffalo Wild Wings, huh?
0: No. <laughs> I, th- I mean, I sure guess it's so. possible. It's I possible, th- yeah. But I would mean, it, it be th- packed? Th-
2: uh, probably not as packed as it would be for UFC at that point. But Because
0: uh. I remember I was in the Buffalo Wild Wings in like 2014, 2015 when Ronda Rousey had a fight against somebody. I can't re- mm. remember who it was. She whooped this poor woman's ass in like seconds. And the bar was packed to see Rousey. Hmm. So I couldn't imagine that for a wrestling show. Unless it's like a bar that everybody knows that shows wrestling and all the wrestling fans in the town congregate there. Right.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Every single one. (laughs)
0: Right. Like all of them go there because they know this is the one bar that shows wrestling and they're open to it. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Uh,
2: I remember always wanting to go to Buffalo Wild Wings for like pay-per-views, but it never just kind of happened. So I don't know if they would uh, necessarily be – Packed for WWE pay per view, but uh, you know Sunday night too. I mean that's you know UFC pay per views on a Saturday, so that's also like a good bar night and restaurant. Oh, yeah. night. So for WWE, yeah, I I couldn't even today if there was no pandemic going on.
0: I doubt you would see restaurants, maybe
2: like small corner bars <laughs> if they did. Right, that. Like I'm but, saying, like
0: a dive bar that yeah. w- the owner is a wrestling fan or right. the manager, the night manager is a fan, so he allows it. Might pull a projection out and throw it up on a projection or something like that, or has a big TV where they allow people to kind of, you know, huddle around the TV and, you know, in the back of the bar and watch it. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, but that's the only way <laughs> like, yeah. like, I feel like that's the only way that's happening. Um, but It was just interesting to see uh, right off the bat, though. We get the, the, the cage lowering music. Yeah. <laughs> Because it's Hell in a Cell. So why not show it off and get the cage lowering, music, and lighting. And the whole big thing is that uh, Mick Foley, commissioner, he he's the commissioner at this point. Uh, after he was retired from a Hell in a Cell earlier in the year. And WrestleMania match too. But he was made commissioner after that. And he, you know, hey, he said, hey, we're going to do the six-man Hell in a Cell. Uh, Vince McMahon did not want it to happen. But Foley was like, look, if somebody gets seriously hurt in this match... I would resign. So they talked about all that. They, then they showed Vince McMahon arriving in the limo. Uh he's using the cane because The Rock, Steve Austin and <laughs> The Undertaker all beat him up on a Raw, I guess the week the, the week prior. I remember that segment too. I just don't know when they, exactly when it happened. But I remember we criticized Halloween Havoc 98 for not having like a match right away in the ring. Yeah. WWE did the yeah. same thing. Yeah. But it was the segments were much shorter. And we got a, a clip of Vince McMahon, who was way over, <laughs> right? Um, and I, it was better. And then we got Vince McMahon saying, yelling at Pat Patterson, I don't want no any damn coffee. I'm not in the mood for no coffee. And <laughs> he's limping away. Uh, but I still was like, it's not a great start to the show. But, you know, whatever.
2: Yeah, I remember being confused as, like, why he was so adamant. Even when we were talking weeks ago about him, get in the truck to try and pull the cell away. I uh, just don't remember why he didn't want the Hell in a Cell match to happen. And then, obviously, it came back. I think they even showed him, say, or he came out for a promo, too, and yeah. basically just said he wants to protect his investment. So I was like, okay, I guess if that's the story they're going to go with. <laughs> so, uh, but it was so funny. It made for some hilarious comments. Uh, interactions this whole night and by the way in the beginning where they arrived in the limo i didn't even notice this watching live until i just rewatched it when he walked right by the truck that they would use later on i was like oh my god like that's hilarious like i didn't even notice that so they're already foreshadowing and that's that's the type of stuff that you will not see today and and really any wrestling i mean they just don't pay attention to that uh, in mainstream wrestling anymore, and I was just like, it, "Man, that was just like a perfect shot." Because they didn't even highlight the truck; he just walked right past it. I was like, "Wait, that truck looks familiar."
0: <laughs> but they showed the truck again during the Kane and Chris Jericho match when yep. they fight backstage. Yeah, so we see it twice. I think uh, we actually a see it three times. Yeah,
2: because there's another uh, moment where like the people are eating their lunch on the back, or is that the right, same? Right, that's moment? I think that was during the Jericho Kane oh, okay. match. Okay. Yeah, that's what I'm not coming to. further in my notes, so mm. that's hilarious. So, yeah, though.
0: the truck made multiple cameos throughout the night. We'll see it again for a big spot later on. Opening match, though, it's time for a match to get in the ring. We got an elimination what they call an intergender elimination tag team match. It is the Hardy Boys and Lita, Team Extreme, going up against three fourths of the Radicals. D Malenko, Eddie Guerrero, and Perry Saturn. Were they still the, the the Radicals at this point, or was they just like the Benoit kind of split off on his own? I mean, I think I technically they, they
2: were the – th- on the Chiron, I'm pretty sure it was it said Radicals, but I, I mean, okay. I could be wrong. But, yeah, they were definitely still a group, and uh, which is funny to me because I couldn't remember them even staying together that whole year. But it's almost been a year since oh. they've been in the WWF at this point. But so. They
0: came up like January, February yeah, of that year? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they weren't at the Rumble. I know that. I think no. they came out like the night after or something like that. So yeah, yeah it, was it was like yeah, uh, they were
2: late January, early February.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, one thing I wrote here before the match even started was that the Hardy Boys and Lita were hella over, and I think people kind of forget about that unit of not just the Hardy Boys but Lita as well. Man, they had people yeah. you know at the palm of their hands when they made their entrance. People would go crazy. It was the teeny boppers who were into like that kind of punk rock kind of feel that was popular. You got to admit, it was popular in 2000. That kind of punk rocker, kind of rebel type of vibe they had. Like they just kind of lived for the moment. And that's kind of what they did when they did those, ex- you know, those extreme death-defying moves. Yeah. And, you know, that constant adrenaline rush, they were hip for that time period and they were cool and they were over, man.
2: Yeah. And they did a lot of... like. People loved that three-person spot. It might have been that TLC match at SummerSlam where uh, Lita came in and like the Hardy. Or was it? Did, did they were they like all three stomping somebody? Or it, there was? And there's an image in my head where all three of them are like stomping somebody, and the crowd is just going absolutely bananas. It might not be, you know, around this time frame, but uh, the Hardys and Lita were like at the hip at this point. You know, like and that Lita even yeah. in her own matches. You know, she was popular because of her, you know, partnership with the Hardys. The Hardys were popular because everyone loved Lita. So it was like a perfect marriage almost, no pun intended, you know, with Matt and Lita and their relationship. But that yeah. was just like fantastic.
0: Yeah. Like I said, they, they just kind of fit the time period very well. Like they were all like kind of free spirits and stuff like that. And yeah, it, it's the thing is, they both Matt and Jeff. Like wrestle in the same exact gear to this today, and it's yeah. like it doesn't quite look as good <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> today. Twenty years later, it you is... know, Matt's wearing like the velvet or whatever yeah. suede shirt, yeah. and Jeff has still got the um, the stuff on his arms. Which some people, I mean, some people that's Jeff Hardy's look. You know, I'm not gonna say I, I, I like I respect both of them for their what they've done in the business. Obviously, I'm fans of both of them. I'm just saying. You don't see too many people walking down the street with the... What, what kind of pants are those? The the the, the parachute pants, I guess, are, are called? I don't, I don't know what know. kind of pants they're called. Bell bottoms? <laughs> I guess. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I, maybe some people still do wear them. I just don't see them that much. And and, and he has the stuff on his arms and whatnot. Uh, but, you know, they're still rocking that. They, they're still trying to make it look good, you know. But, uh, but for that time period, they were super over. Uh, somebody who wasn't necessarily over in WWF... But they were kind of over in WCW with Demon Lenko, who went from the Iceman in WCW to a sleazy playboy in WWF. It was like, <laughs> like, they tried to get some personality out of him, because he didn't have it in WCW. Yeah. That was his gimmick, that he was the Iceman. Yeah. So, they was like, no, we're not going to do that here. We already got, like, Stone Cold. We don't need somebody who who's, who's like, a temperature-based character. I'm like, unless you want to be Chili McFrost <laughs> or Fang McFreeze, we don't need yes. that. So... <laughs> whatever those names were. Oh, man. Uh, we don't need that. So we're going to make you a sleazy playboy, and that's what got this match. Be, you know, That's how this match became to fruition because uh, so Malenka won a match to get a date with Lita. Yeah, and he,
2: he, made, he made her tap out to, <laughs> right. to, to win a date with her. So, so weird. weird. This very is very after Vince line. Russo, by the way. This is after Vince Russo left.
0: Right. Say, not every storyline hit. Most of them did, but there was... They, they hit on a lot of things and they, they still did. had some misses because you can't be, you can't bat a thousand, right? No. Nah. Um, unless you bat once and you hit, that's a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> there you go. But, uh, so he wins the date. They go on a date, Lita's down to her underwear, looking good. Malenko's in his bathrobe and his socks. Definitely like, yeah, do, maybe I remember let's do that, it. I remember
2: that segment quite well.
0: I don't at all. Honestly, <laughs> um, <laughs> It's crazy because, like I said, it's like my favorite year. But there are so many. Th- I have to go back and watch a lot of this stuff because it's just. Everyone I know WWE WWE was on fire in two thousand. I remember a lot of the big moments, but there are so many small moments in between those big ones that I <laughs> forgot. Yeah. And Malenko trying to put the put the moves on Lita was one of them. And he thinks he's getting the yams. He he's getting the draws, and then she discovers his his wedding ring. Which why would you wear <laughs> your wedding ring, Dean, if you're doing this? Like. <sighs> Come on, you're supposed yeah. to be the sleazy playboy. You, you should you should know better than that, bro. Like, that's like rule number one, right? Take your wedding <laughs> ring off. So that's just that's just blatant disrespect for your wife. It is. Uh, you already disrespecting her by cheating on her. Didn't to mm. you know, wear the ring too. It's just you don't even care.
2: <laughs> but <laughs> he was just like, "Do me a favor, ignore it."
0: <laughs> <you're> like, <laughs> you know it's crazy. A lot of dudes probably say that too. Don't worry about that. That's just that's just piece of metal. I don't need me not need nothing. <laughs> that's messed up. But she discovers it then. She what did she she oh she turned the lights out. They yeah, turn the lights he, out, he actually turned the lights appears. out. Jeff Hardy appears.
2: It's hilarious,
0: right? And then the Jeff Hardy appears. Like the Undertaker hits him <laughs> over the head with a vase or a lamp or something like that. They start beating him up. They flip him over the bed. Flip the bed on top of him. It's like damn, <laughs> y'all jumped him in this hotel room. That's kind of that's kind of yeah that's kind of crazy. You know.
2: Well, he deserved it. He wife. did
0: deserve it, but you didn't deserve to get jumped. You could have just you know. Hell yeah. I don't know. He's lucky, on he's lucky
2: he left that room.
0: They only needed Matt in there. They didn't need Matt and Jeff. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's funny. But I, at you this know. point, I'm not sure if they were doing like the Matt and Lita on screen type of thing. Mm-hmm. I, I don't remember. So, that's uh, a good point. Could be why both of them. I don't know.
0: That's fair. That's 100% fair. <laughs> Your dog agrees with me. Yeah. <laughs> he got a lot to say tonight. <laughs> he making his own damn podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Jodo's all
2: that episode. Mm-hmm,
0: right. Pretty much. That's this is the dog episode apparently. <laughs> uh another thing I noticed before this match started was that Eddie Guerrero was wearing a singlet?
2: Yeah, I noticed that too actually and I was like I'm I'm thankful that he got rid of that at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: Cuz it did look weird, but I don't think I've ever
2: seen him wearing that. Well, he wore it in WCW and like ECW and it it kind of like, it wasn't the same design. You know, it was a different type of design. This one that he wore, uh, on this night at this pay per view. Um, but yeah, like I, I, I was like, I got used to the in WCW when he just ditched the top and he just wore like the tight pants, uh, the tights. <laughs> <laughs> when he was wearing the tight pants, uh, yeah, oh, yeah. I, got, I got used to that uh, look. And so it was it, even his first match on that SmackDown. He was wearing like a tank top or something. Uh, with the shirt, so I don't know if he was like in bad shape at this point, if he wasn't as built, but he was covered up like the top for a while. So uh, it just, yeah, I didn't. I just thought this look was kind of ew. <laughs> yeah,
0: I, yeah, I didn't dig it. And that's and stuff I that I pay it. attention
2: to a lot. You know, yeah. everything aesthetic, everything the, the way everything looks is what I first noticed.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean it's the first thing you see. You know, you like so, the ring ropes and all that. I don't care about that. Um, But we get to the match. Eddie Guerrero, speaking of a singlet, is the first one eliminated. He's eliminated by Jeff Hardy after Swanton. Then Jeff Hardy gets eliminated by Perry Saturn. Mm. Then he's eliminated by Matt Hardy. (laughs) While Terry Reynolds is climbing into the ring, showing off all her undies. Uh, People are howling at that. Uh, And then at the same time, Jerry Lawler, as usual, can't contain himself. Um... (laughs) While that's happening, Lita spears Terry. But then, while that's happening, D Malenko eliminates Matt Hardy, leaving just Lita and Malenko. So, even though Lita gets the better of Malenko multiple times, almost beat him on an occasion, uh, Malenko just beat Lita up the rest of the way. Yeah. It's kind of weird to watch. And it like nowadays, WWE doesn't, when they do like the intergender matches, they don't allow uh, the men the and women to fight. Yeah. You know, when a woman tags in and a man is in the ring, he, the man has to get out and the woman has to come in all of a sudden. Uh, but back in 2000, they didn't give a damn. And yeah. then Milenko is just suplexing Lita and then he puts him in the Boston cra- or no, the te- Texas Cloverleaf mm-hmm. and Lita taps out. Which is,
2: you know, you, you make that point, And even later on, we're going to see another intergender match. And it was almost like. They were trying to, I don't want to say normalize it, but uh, I guess not make it a big deal and be like, okay, yeah, like women are going to fight the men. And obviously, like, it didn't seem, I don't want to say it didn't seem out of place, but I wasn't like, I almost felt normal watching it at the time. It's like, okay, yeah, men are are just, or women are just as good as men are. So that's why they're doing this type of stuff. When really, obviously, that the reason was just storyline purposes and, here and there like telling a story it wasn't really about women being equal to men but that's what i took from it you know back then as a kid you know watching this and i was just like yeah like women can wrestle men like that's normal now and i didn't see like any problem with it i guess on the surface
0: right they did try to normalize it but it also felt like they were also like when malenko kind of got the upper hand Mm And J.R. was like, oh, come on. Like, do that. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. It was almost like, they're they're forcing like it. Yeah. they were still like saying, like, hey, she probably shouldn't or can't, is incapable of true. beating him because she's a woman. That's true. So the fact that he's beating her up and he, wait, what did he do after after the match? I think he suplexed yeah. her after the match, something uh, like that.
2: No, like, he suplexed her from the top and then he would like, that's why. Do the fake pins and like kind of Right. Her he would lift like, her head up. Yeah. So so that, like that. Yeah. Like, oh,
0: you could just beat her. And right. then he tosses her out of the ring after that's, the match.
2: Yeah, that's good. That's a good point.
0: So it was still kind of weird. Like it's not like they were like coming into the match knowing that these two people are equal. The genders doesn't really mean as yeah. much because they're they're fighting for the same thing. They're I both guess, fighting for a win. Yeah, I guess it was still my, kind of implied that she she's at a disadvantage because she's a woman. Right.
2: I guess my and he's a man. My point would be better made for a match later on in the cards. So right. That's because she what was I meant. the ex- yeah.
0: chi- cause With China and Valvina's, because China was the exception. Right. So uh, Lita, it's it almost like Lita got her offense in by like luck and happenstance yeah, and when Legle took over that was it so you know I, some people are all with uh intergender, inter-gender wrestling some people aren't uh i'm kind of just neutral on it you know if it's if, if a promotion wants to do it and it works for that promotion fine if they don't cool you know uh you know boxing mma doesn't do it uh you know i don't think they would anytime soon i don't think i don't see any uh, a commis- commission or governing body in, in any type of state or anything like that uh, letting it fly Right. Uh, I don't think people the masses would be comfortable if like a uh, Conor McGregor just punched the hell out of uh, yeah. Amanda Nunes mm-hmm. and you know just you know knock the lights out potentially or just punch her in the face in general didn't knock her down so who knows but um, it was happening on this night though and Malenko beat Lita made a tap out to Cloverleaf tossed her out of the ring after the match. Um and I just wrote down this whole story is pretty much that some sleaze ball didn't get sex with somebody. His advance got turned down. <laughs> so much. he's mad now, beats her up and tosses her out of the ring.
2: Yeah, that's kind of the story
0: where you lose me and it's kinda like, oh, okay. Yeah, it was kinda weird. He's a sleaze ball. Yep. At the end of the day. So whatever. Lita did an interview after the match which is <laughs> rare that you see a loser of the match get interviewed right after but she's like all messed up and she's like after the match saying like I, I, knew, I, can, I knew I can beat him I know I yeah. can beat him I don't yeah. know if she eventually did beat Malenko maybe she did I do not recall
2: I don't either and I didn't bother to look it up uh, I just figured Me that's either. what they were going for maybe they had a rematch the next night on Raw <laughs> who knows but um, th- there had to be a reason for that but at the same time it was like almost a waste of time. Like she could have done the same thing the next night or even later and later in the locker room or with an interview with Michael Cole, you know, right there at ringside, you know, when Matt and Jeff come out to, you know, kind of pick her up. That's just weird visual. I was like, okay.
0: Yeah. It was a weird match overall. With a lot of talented people involved. And it was weird too because it felt like at multiple times they were just out of sync. Like things just weren't oh, yeah. quite especially the beginning. in sync right especially especially in the beginning which was surprising given the talent involved in that ring we you know hardy boys hall of famers eddie guerrero is a hall of famer but D. malenko i don't know if he's a hall of famer but he's he's a great talent pay in the same thing and lead is a hall of famer so all the people involved in the match and yet they just couldn't get on the same page in the beginning and it kind of messed up the chemistry of the match it's weird yeah we move on to a backstage interview with Lillian Garcia interviewing the reigning and defending WWF champion Kurt Angle, who was doing Hindu squats, it looked like or some type of squats, and he did not want to be interviewed. But you know, he, he you know gave a you know he interview and talked about Alabama and you know, people in Alabama called him Hicks and whatnot and you know usual stuff. Um, but the one thing I noticed here. <clears throat> was that the way they set up interviews back in 2000 was so much more realistic than what they do today. Instead of the, and here's my guest, Kurt Angle, and Kurt Angle walks in from the right side of the frame, which they always do, (laughs) or the left side, I guess, but mostly it seems like the right side every time. He's already in the middle of doing something in his locker room, and she comes up trying to get an interview. She asks him why he's, because he's a living, breathing person who's not just standing off camera waiting to be, introduced, you know, to the camera. (laughs) Which is dumb. That's not how anybody shoots interview. You look at any sporting event, the guy is always there. Like he's just there. He doesn't have to walk into frame and they get the crowd reaction. It just doesn't make any sense. One thing I noticed too was that I don't know if you noticed this, but the camera was always was never stationary. It was always kind of moving. Even if the movements were slight, something it was always kind of in motion, but not like the way it is today in WWE where It's shaking, like the shaky cam. It's not like that, like, when you're seeing a match or a backstage fight. I'm talking, like, it's always, like, some type of, like, back-and-forth type of movement. It's always kinetic, but not in a way that's, like, vomit-inducing. It's just, (laughs) it was just, I guess, a way to make it look kind of, like, exciting? I don't know. And then you would see, like, odd angles being taken from the cameras. And I guess this is just, like, a 90s and early 2000s thing with the way TV and movies were shot sometimes. But it's something else you just don't see anymore. I don't. You don't really see the angles, at least, or the camera movements. You don't see that stuff anymore on TV, for the most part. Not just in WWE, but in TV overall. But back in 2000, uh, this was like a normal thing. And it, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know if I really liked it or not. It was just something I noticed that was just very different. Yeah, I didn't notice that at all. So, <laughs> uh,
2: but the funny thing is, you know, I, I was a big fan of his promo, you know, like he, especially him saying he was going to shower, drink 99% fat-free milk, and then hop on the first plane out of Al- Alabama, you know, I was all in for the humor and whatnot, but I didn't notice uh, how they were shooting it or any movements like that.
0: And you got so. notice those little details, yeah. man, so I would I dive mean, deep, I, here, deep well, Listen,
2: so, some things I did notice, like, and I do notice, like ring color, ropes, Oh God. color of ring ropes, but... Uh, Ring color ropes, like me and my words, (laughs) like what the hell?
0: (laughs) Words are hard sometimes, man. (laughs) They can be hard.
2: But yeah, I was uh, I thought it was funny where he's, you know, he's doing this workout with the belt around his waist and his medals around his neck. Like Kurt Angle was fantastic in this time frame.
0: (laughs) Your match is not another for another two hours, Kurt. (laughs) You don't need the the belt and the medals. He's all dressed up. Yeah, but then we cut to a flashback. They're doing flashbacks throughout the night of prior Hell in a Cell matches. And it made me, wonder, made me realize, like, there had only been, like, a handful of Hell in the Cell matches to this point. There's only, like, five or six, maybe, if, if that many. Um, Before 2000, they, had, they, had and they like, only could call back to, like, three of them. They only yeah. called back, like, two or three Hell in the Cell matches.
2: They, did, they All these moments were, like, some of them were from the same match.
0: <laughs> right. And the first one we got was from when... It was from No Way Out earlier in the year. Uh, when Cactus Jack went up against Triple H and Cactus Jack went through the cell and through the ring uh, during that match. Um, so, yeah, it was just like, okay. And did, one thing I did notice, like, they had the WWF home video logo on their screen. Yeah. Which is like, yeah, man, remember know. that? They, people had home video like departments. Yeah, this is uh, right after they said bye bye to
2: Coliseum video. And I was like, WWF home video. And that's a cool logo, which, like, A thicker WWF logo in the background, with then the scratch, the sketch logo in front of it, and I was like, "Why don't they use that? Why don't they use that? (laughs) They never. (laughs) They use it for like the WWF magazine and WWF home video, but not the, uh, not like the little
0: watermark on live TV. But I like that logo. Home video. It just sounds like such a dated term (laughs) because." You can have a home video on the tip of your fingers at any moment. Like, yeah, like everything yeah. is home video unless you go to the movies now, like pretty much like back in the day, you had to leave out to buy a movie to take it back to your home. <laughs> <laughs> if you have a fire stick or Apple TV or something like that, it's in your home. <laughs> That's your home video. Yeah. And you don't have to leave the house to get either one of those. You can get a fire stick delivered to your front door. It's just wild.
2: This was even uh, before cell phones were really big, too. In two thousand, I mean, they were probably more part uh, part of culture at this point than they were like two years ago. But uh, yeah, at this point, I, I don't, my first cell phone was like late two thousand one, so, <laughs> ooh, and it was like I, one of those early Motorola flip phones. So, ooh, yeah,
0: I got a cell phone probably in two thousand. Two two thousand three, like middle school, or high school, time, eighth or ninth grade, and I had like the Nokia, the old Nokia, from yeah, like the blue yeah. one, yeah. with the with snake on it and stuff like that. So yeah, those are good times. Yeah, cool. and my mom gave. It. I think my mom. ooh, wait a minute! I think I had one before that. I don't know. I remember my mom talking about getting this one after nine eleven. You know, if, you know, everybody's really worried about you know security right. and safety, right. and it's like, yeah. what if something happens? I want to be able to call you. So maybe like 2002 is when mm-hmm. I had one. Yeah, that's probably like 7th, 8th grade, something like yeah. that. Maybe early 8th grade going into... Yeah, because I graduated from 8th grade in 2003. So that means I started in 2002. So that's probably around the time I got one. Oh, yeah, wow. Well, like, 02. So yeah, yeah, around yeah. that time. Okay. And I still got the same phone number from back then. <laughs> yeah.
2: Hey, I've had the same one since 03. So nice. that's funny.
0: Nice. Moving on, though, from cell phones to the WWF <laughs> European Championship, Love it. William Regal defending against the home state kid, not hometown, because he wasn't from Birmingham. He was from Mobile. But Hardcore Holly, which again, another thing I never knew happened that Hardcore Holly and William Regal had a European championship match. Against. Yeah. Did not know that either. Did not but remember. This is what's gonna happen on a pay per view where you have six of your top stars in the main event. Yeah. And you have four tag teams in a tag title match. Which didn't seem like a smart decision, but in my opinion, um, ten, of your, 10 of your top acts <laughs> in two matches, you know, so but that's what happened. Uh, Regal cut a heel promo on Alabama for wearing dirty overalls and being <laughs> slobs. The um, you know, typical heel promo mm. making fun of Alabama, <clears throat> excuse me, Hawker uh, Holly comes out and Fink Howard Finkel put some extra stank on his introduction because he's from Mobile, so he said, "From Mobile, Alabama." And I was like, "Yeah, we're from Mobile. To, we're, we might be from Mobile. We're from Birmingham, no, like whatever." But he definitely put some extra stank on Hardcore Holly's um, introduction, which makes sense, you know, because he's you know from his home state. You know, I don't know how far Birmingham or Mobile are, but they're in the same state. So yeah. I don't I don't know if it's a Philly Pittsburgh thing where like people think right, Philly and right. Pittsburgh are, like neighboring cities, and it's like no. They're seven hours apart. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is a big state, like massive state. We're not nearly close to each other. Eastern Pennsylvania and Western Pennsylvania might as well be two different I, states.
2: That's like a flight to Pittsburgh from Philly. <laughs> but I think it was like forty-five minutes. It wasn't that long,
0: but yeah. and the air, when you're going, yeah. you know, thousands—I don't know—right, right, right, miles an hour planes <laughs> go, but hundreds of miles an hour at least. Uh, it's pretty quick. But like driving. Six hours, <laughs> yeah, not that close. Um, I can't help it. every time I see Hardcore Holly, I think of Bruce Pritchard's impersonation of him <laughs> when he sucks about like they gave the ta- they told the talent, like, hey, give us ideas for creative, you know, help us out. And Hardcore Holly was like, "I got an idea. How about you give me the belt?" <laughs> you know, that was his bright idea. How about I beat <sighs> everybody and give me the belt? Hey, they they should have done it, tested it out. Well, look, They're I don't scared. think he had the European Championship in mind, though. When he <laughs> wanted the belt, he wanted the WWF Championship, not the not the European Championship. But he, he they they, they had let him challenge for the belt or a belt <laughs> on this night, and you know it didn't work out for him too well. But well, he, he
2: he wasn't uh, close to home. Birmingham, Alabama, Mobile, Alabama are almost
0: four hours apart. So there you go, there you go. See. Not that close, but um, one thing about Alabama, Jerry Lawler with these (laughs) one-liners, and (laughs) look, Alabama people, people from Alabama, Alabamians, I know that these are old tropes that everybody says about Alabama, you know, your your hillbillies, your hicks, and you know, the the, (laughs) the incest that people (laughs) allege happens down there. Um. Look, we're from Philly. We know right. all about stereotypes. It's you true. know, people That's still true. talk about s- the s- time s- uh, people yeah. threw Santa, snowballs at Santa Claus like 50, 60 years ago. We weren't there, bro. We didn't do none of that. Who right. cares about Santa Claus? Honestly, you're grown men and women. Why do you care about Santa Claus so much? Uh, You know, people talk about how rowdy the fans are and blah, blah, blah. So we are, we we empathize with you, Alabama, for all the tropes and the stereotypes you guys endure from people who aren't from Alabama, and specifically people who aren't from the South, because they're the ones who love to make fun of you guys, especially like Vince McMahon and Kevin Dunn. Oh, Mm -hmm. couldn't wait to make fun of the Southerners. Mm -hmm. All you do is wear the overalls, and you talk with that Southern drawl, Yeah, blah, 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 all that stuff. (laughs) But the line that Jerry Lawler said was pretty funny. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. When he said that Alabama's slogan was 4 million people Fifteen last names, like oh man, <laughs> wow! Again, I missed that one, but oh my goodness, <laughs> my God! Look again, Alabama, Alabamians, we empathize. Okay, we get it. People look okay, at the snow, the Santa Claus snowball thing, you know, batteries, and oh, the vet, Veteran Stadium had a jail, <laughs> 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 like, you know, stuff like that. Oh, don't you like cheesesteaks? Like, yeah, I, I do like cheesesteaks, but not everybody <laughs> eats cheesesteaks in Philly, bro. Like, okay is that all you guys eat is cheesesteaks and soft pretzels did you go to patch of gino's too like no I did not <laughs> you know did you see the liberty bell is it like right next door like no it's not You know. <laughs> all that stuff so we we empathize we understand the stereotypes and the tropes that you have to deal with we, we go through just a lot of the same things but that line was funny <laughs> I'm sorry That line was funny.
2: Damn it! Not happy with your NFL picks or fantasy lineup? Luckily we have you covered. Follow Fox Sports the Gambler for its Sunday service. This is what we needed. Our sports wagering wizard Mark Drumheller, fantasy guru Tony Jigsaw Catillo, and Eagles insider Victor Williams serve up a Sunday feast. That's what you do, me. Of winning players, picks, and everything you need to start your work week off on the right foot. Always tune into Fox Sports the Gambler on the iHeartRadio
0: or 102.5 FM Hardcore Holly though is an interesting person because he seemed like a guy that probably could have made it to the top of the car but just never quite did and I guess it's just maybe in another era he could have but he came in like the mid 90s like 94 he was Thurman Spocky Plug yeah yeah. late
2: 93 94 yep
0: and he they gave him a terrible gimmick so that's why he didn't get to the main event Uh there brutal sparky plug right Thurman sparky plug literally
2: another name where i figured it emanated from the wwf when someone asked me about spark plugs in my car and i'm like wait there's a real thing like what <laughs> <laughs> i know sparky plug i don't know spark plugs
0: know. Thurman sparky plug
2: and then terrible, Then they terrible. Did, his middle name was like spark plug. They'd be like Bob Spark Plug Holly. Like what? Oh, no. they had to keep Stop the it. spark plug in there for the longest they time.
0: They had to. I think Bob Holly probably drove a stock car like twice, and it's like <laughs> there it is. That's a gimmick. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. But uh... for whatever reason, obviously after he got rid of the gimmick, then all of a sudden people like the Rock and Steve Austin and DX and Triple started really being the top guys and i guess there just wasn't enough room for him at the top um but he just never quite got there outside of that one match he had with brock lesnar Mm. at the royal rumble in 2004 because brock lesnar broke his neck the year prior and that's like the revenge match um but yeah hardcore holly good wrestler had the the wild gimmick with him and crash holly who they're, they're they were funny with Crash being like his, you know, goofy little cousin, yeah, um, oh, and he's slapping him in the back of the head all the time, and <laughs> that was funny. But like, then they would claim to be the super heavyweights, <laughs> yeah, that and they would carry around the scale and were allegedly. Be my favorite w- version of Bob Holly, honestly, <laughs> allegedly weighing over well over four hundred pounds. <laughs> it's a super heavy. What? Classic. And they were they would wrestle as a tag team. And they were allegedly combined, weighing in over eight hundred pounds. I was like, "What?" It was so bizarre. But he had a career, man. He had a, he, he did he did a lot of stuff, right? He did,
2: and he he. I mean, imagine if he had left and went to like WCW, and what if he was like U.S. champion or world champion at some point? Like that, it's just crazy to think about because he he absolutely could have done that. Uh, He was, you know, in all these errors of WWF, and, you know, he withstood the test of time. He, you know, he bulked up, obviously, but, uh, you know, he was very entertaining. You know, like, I remember thinking, like, he was a nerd and all this with the whole Sparky Plug stuff, but uh, especially with the crash and Molly and that type of stuff, and even uh, he was, like, a good guy right here uh, because he was in Alabama, but, like, he was, like he looked like a pro wrestler and he wrestled like a pro wrestler. I don't know. I have kind of a soft spot for him. Not one of my favorites by any means, but I, I think he's underrated a little bit by a lot of uh, wrestling fans and media.
0: Yeah. He, he
2: had a, yeah, he,
0: had not a even, like, he had a good run.
2: Not even like, good matches, but just entertainment value for me. You know, like, this was one of his best runs. I even liked him with the new Midnight Express. Like, that was stupid. No, you didn't. That was you way before like that. that.
0: You didn't like that run.
2: Eh.
0: I mean, I didn't hate it. Just <laughs> looking at his, um, uh, his championships and accomplishments. He won the hardcore title six times.
2: That's it? Wow.
0: And oh, he okay. won the tag titles three times with three different partners. First one was one two three kid,
2: right? I, yeah.
0: Then him and Crash Holly won the tag titles. Yeah. And then, of course, if you recall, and was at 7 He and Cody Rhodes won the tag titles, and that was when oh, Ted DiBiase right, came in and they, and he turned right. on Hardcore Holly and and Cody Rhodes and Ted DiBiase became a tag team. Gotcha. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. So. I forgot Hawker Hollow was in WWE as late as like 08, 09, which is now 10 years ago, which is pretty wild, Um, over 10 years ago now, but uh, in this match, it was a match, Um, they had a decent little match here, I mean, I remember William Regal used the STF, and it made me think of John Cena using the STF to horrible (laughs) results every time, Um, made it look terrible, but he would win matches with the STF, or when, when he first called it the STFU. Remember that? Yeah, I do. Yep. And then it just became the STF when WW went PG, <laughs> and Cena started wearing bright orange T-shirts. So can't call it the STFU anymore, and the, and the, and the FU became the attitude, attitude adjustment.
2: adjustment.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, what a generic, and lame name that was. Who thought of that? <laughs> I'm adjust your attitude oh. with this move. I'm just so, gonna make you more pissed. You right. might you. <laughs> Attitude adjustment um, But this match came to an end When Raven came out of nowhere DDT to Hardcore Holly And William Regal Ended Holly to retain The championship uh, Jim Ross said that Raven crawled out of some gutter Somewhere <laughs> to do the DDT um, But yep That was this match Yeah,
2: Totally forgot Raven was here in 2000 I for some reason thought he was just part of like the invasion, uh, or just before it. And I guess he technically is, but, uh, I didn't realize he was like literally a WWF guy for a while before he, yeah. you know, joined ECW again. Uh, and he was here for he a little at, bit. And he was
0: at WrestleMania in 2001. Sheesh. He was in the, the Triple Threat oh, Hardcore yeah, match. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, that's right. And, uh, that was before the invasion. So, yeah. Uh, this was when, uh, By the way, I really loved him when he he went back to ECW. He had apparently requested a release from WCW, got it, but he wasn't allowed to go to the WWF for like a year. So he went to ECW for a little bit, (laughs) Uh, won the tag titles with Tommy Dreamer, uh, got surgery on a torn rotator cuff, and then when he got healthy, he signed with the WWF, and this was when around this time where he he went to the WWF. So totally forgot the timeline about how it happened. So when he showed up, I was like, oh, damn, like (laughs) – and didn't even remember this finish like why is he why is he attacking hardcore holly uh, it was just weird and at this yeah. time i didn't even like hardcore holly you know back then you know i learned to appreciate him through the years uh, at this point he was just kind of like a a jobber to me
0: a <laughs> <laughs> jobber um <laughs> I wrote down that not even, we're not even 30 minutes in. We got two matches in already. This matches go by fast in 2000 yeah. WWF. They didn't, that's like, have long, drawn-out matches. They were saved for the main events or the semi-main mm-hmm. events. But, like, you in the undercard, you'd be lucky if you got five minutes. Right. <laughs> like, these matches are quick in and out, boom, let's move on. Uh, and that's what they were doing in this night, which was kind of odd because, like I said, this was not, like, a deep card, but they – didn't like, oh, well, we got 30 minutes allotted for the main event, so let's give these other matches a little more time. No, that didn't happen. We'll, the women's match later on in the show. Oh, man. Embarrassingly <laughs> short, but yeah. we're going to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, we didn't cut to an interview with Kevin Kelly and Rikishi. Rikishi is just, you know, to talk about some random stuff. Uh, but Kevin Kelly, he was, he still is a very talented announcer. Uh, he used the brunt of many, many, many jokes from The Rock. Uh, who called him a hermaphrodite on I don't know how many <laughs> occasions, which is just like wild in hindsight. At the time, it was like, woo-ha-ha, ha, so funny. But now it's like, oh, my God. I did it like every show, Raw, SmackDown, Heat, no matter what, <laughs> what show it was. Kevin Kelly was the brunt of The Rock's jokes during a promo. Uh, but he's still working in wrestling, obviously. He's out a nice career for himself, calling matches for New Japan, uh, I don't know if he's still calling matches I don't think he's calling Max Ring of Honor anymore at all. Uh, I know he was a couple of years ago, but Ian Ricciboni is calling him for Ring of Honor now. But he's calling matches for J- New Japan on the English commentary. And I, I think Kevin Kelly is a great announcer. Like, I think when he was with Ring of Honor, he was a very good announcer over Ring of Honor. Uh, but now he's doing New Japan. And shout out, shout out to Kevin Kelly.
2: Yeah, I know him mostly for. Uh That Monday Night Raw, the Austin Pillman gun angle and all that. And he was was actually, like, one of my favorite parts of that because, uh, you know, Vince would always go to him, and he'd be like, I I heard explosions, and I don't know what happened. Someone
0: turned out the lights. Like,
2: (laughs) Kevin Kelly was great that night.
0: (laughs) heard explosions. (laughs) (laughs) That's not a gun, man. That's probably a bomb. You need to get out of there. He He said explosions. Explosions. Uh,
2: that was also the raw, by the way. That was the first in the earlier time slot that I completely missed because I oh, forgot man. it was on an hour. You earlier. imagine, so I missed with the no, d-
0: no DVR, and you yeah. missed an hour of the show, Gosh. pretty much.
2: Well, it was the only, it was only an hour at that point, so I missed oh. the whole show.
0: The whole. Oh. Show. oh. Man. Mm, mm, mm. I know you were sick that night. <laughs> that was,
2: I remember turning it on and it was like in the middle of the main event. And I'm like, what the hell? It was like fake Razor and somebody. And then, what? Uh, that was the main event. <laughs> yeah. And then they went back and there was like chaos. And that's when Kevin Kelly was like, we, we heard some explosions, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, what is going on? And then you see like Austin uh, coming back in and getting like pulled away. And I was like, so confused. And then it showed like the end of Raw, you know, it had that, you know, trademark come up. And I was like, what? Oh no! I was so angry. It <laughs> <He> was sick. <laughs> I realized that oh, I was. Oh man! I imagine. I was watching Nitro that whole time.
0: Oh, and you was watching Nitro. Uh, I so could imagine that, missing an episode of Raw back then. So I was sick. For this a sick, is probably holy. why I love
2: why probably why I love Livewire because I had to wait till Saturday morning and then Vince Man was on USA apologizing for the angle.
0: <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> and what people a time.
2: people were calling in and be like. I don't. I think WWF is trash. Like I can't believe you Damn. let that on TV. Yeah, man. The callers let him have it. Like it was. It felt legit. So that's probably the height of my, or uh, should I say, the beginning of why I love Livewire so much. Because that was like my first real taste of it. I mean, I watched it every morning. But that was in the begin. That was the beginning of Livewire, and even though it debuted in September. This, the gun angle was like the end of October or early November. So it was still like a month or two later, and then that happened. So it's just a, a funny way to look back on how that all un, unraveled. So uh, we're giving Ke- Kevin Kelly his flowers for everything yeah. that he did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, he was a big part of that.
0: He was, because he was like the correspondent from the house giving the live <laughs> updates. <laughs> yeah like he was outside like in a hurricane somewhere <laughs> you know, see the reporters that be outside of the hurricane they be getting yeah. blown away it's like yeah. man why do y'all send your reporters out there to do that <laughs> like, that's <laughs> messed up they don't have to stand out there to show people like how bad the storm is they better get hazard pay here's kevin kelly live and on the scene at brian Pilmer's house i I heard an explosion
2: (laughs) and i remember they even showed the gun like before the ending so you knew pillman had a gun if you were watching uh from the previous segment so when austin came in you know I was you knew what was gonna happen kevin kelly was all there like oh my god we hear austin outside he's outside the house
0: (laughs) man what a time what a time Uh um So, again, Kevin Kelly, dope announcer. He's interviewing Rikishi, who I wrote down, should have never been a heel in 2000. Not in 2000. Maybe later on. Mm. But that year, again, people might forget. Again, everybody was over in 2000, for the most part. Too Cool was over. But they were over partially because of Rikishi. He was like the straw that stirred that drink. Yeah. Every time they were in the ring with him, and he was about to leave, Rikishi, for whatever reason, just always thought he could just leave the ring <laughs> without getting stopped. Like, All right, we done beating people up? All right, let's get on out of here now. And they are be like, nope. Every damn time. <laughs> every time. He's ready to wrap it up and get out of there. All right, let's get on. Let's get on the road. Let's go. I'm, I'm out of here. We did our thing. And they'd be like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like Every single time. And he'd be like. No man, I'm good. I'm good. He tried to leave, like no, and he get, bring him back in. He put on a shades yeah. and he turns it to a different person. <laughs> All of a sudden, he's super Rikishi, and he does the dance and he shakes his ass. And everybody was, it was, it was like I people who didn't normally watch wrestling knew who Rikishi was because he he had to pretty much a thong on <laughs> with his big butt out every week, and he was dancing and he was exciting and he was over he was intercontinental champion over in 2000 like and it wasn't like people batted an eye that was 2000 probably the best year of like you know fat two we want to call him rikishi's career (laughs) yeah that's the year that made him a wwe hall of famer honestly i agree with that and he had some years after that that he wrestled but 2000 was the year that put him on the map as like a guy like this is rikishi
2: Mm -hmm.
0: and the funny part
2: about it is he was probably like a little older at this point but at the same time, I was like, yeah, they're pushing new talent, new and young talent. she's one <laughs> right. of them. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I didn't know he was fat, too, before that. Oh, really? I, you know, I did oh, not. Wow. Back then, when I was watching it, I did not know. Wow. Of course, I know now. And I've <laughs> known for a long time, obviously. <laughs> so, But back, but, I was only 10 years old in 2000. I was 11 years old in 2000. Right. So I didn't, even though I watched wrestling a little bit here and there, I didn't remember everybody. Oh, I remember, right, like... Yeah. The top guys, I didn't remember Fatu, you know? <laughs>
2: well, I told you I the I didn't same remember way. Samu
0: and, and the Islanders. Like, I didn't re- remember that.
2: I, I didn't remember Kama as Papa Shango, even though they looked there exactly you alike, you know? Yes. Yeah, so. <laughs> the only At difference was he didn't have face hair. paint. It was face paint. Well, when he was with the nation, he shaved his head, so he almost looked exactly alike as Papa mm. Shango did, so... Uh. Yeah, how funny is that? Like you didn't realize that was Rikishi or Fatu. So
0: what was the first yeah, time I you didn't saw know? Fai I didn't two? know who Fatu was. I didn't, I didn't. know who Fatu was.
2: So you never saw him before Rikishi?
0: Not. I could I didn't remember. All I okay. knew was Rikishi. Okay. I didn't even know Fatu.
2: I knew at this point I knew Fatu from the Head Shrinkers and the Make a Difference fat, Fatu. I didn't right, even. I, d- yeah, I, I said, didn't know he was yeah, the Islanders, Sultan. Head <laughs>
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> I didn't know he was the Sultan, but yeah, the other two. Oh uh, yeah, The <laughs>
0: Sultan. Oh, yeah. uh, you know I don't think. I, uh, Man, they were trying for years, trying to get him. They were. Trying to get him something. And they kept him around, kept him around, and they stuck with it, and stuck with it. And eventually, Rikishi hit. He did. Rikishi hit. All because of the, gear, All of the ring
2: gear, man. All because of the ring gear.
0: Really? I call them the Islanders. They were the Samoan SWAT team in WCW. Uh, right, the Islanders. yeah. They were the head yeah. shrinkers in WWF. But yeah, like... Rikishi hit, like you said, the, the gear, his butt was out, because he put on weight over the years, yeah and it are like, well, we got a big butt now, so let's get that out there, <laughs> and he they, they dyed the hair, and yeah. he was with Too Cool Dancing, and that hit, like, that was massive, like, people forget how over that unit, Too Cool Rikishi was, they were big over in 2000, and I think, I know, for me, I liked Rikishi as a kid, and to see him turn heel was like, what did y'all do, like, they he was like, in hindsight, he was probably never going to be, like, a top, top guy. But as a kid, I felt like he was on his way. Like, he was, he won the IC title. He was, I think he was kind of on his own at this point. Like, and people were rocking with Rikishi. And it's just, when they turned him heel, it, they, they tried to make it work. And they tried to pour so much heat on him with the Steve Austin thing. It just didn't, yeah, it just and I didn't don't even work, think, man.
2: I don't even think they knew what would what would happen a year later after they did the whole angle with Austin getting run over. No, they and couldn't have. Cause I, I don't they're like, have okay, Rikishi. Rikishi's, yeah. They're like the Rikishi's the hottest guy or one of the hottest guys right now in the company with the crowd. So let's just turn him. you
0: know, it makes sense. Right, right? He's, he's he's hot. So people would have, a, the people will react to it. They would be disappointed in him. And it's not like one of our top baby faces. He's not Jericho or rock right. or Steve Austin. Right. So we have, that's what, that's what you could do. That's, this is a decision you make when you have depth. Because yes. they had three, yes. at least three other baby faces, including you going know, to throw Undertaker in that too. They had at least four other baby faces. They're going to be like, you know what? We're good with those guys. And honestly, Rikishi was probably fifth at best on that <laughs> list of baby faces.
2: Which is just you know what I'm saying? crazy to think about because of how just how popular he was, I and mean, he wasn't he was even near wild the top.
0: over. And for people that don't understand, you got to go back and watch these shows. I remember those pops he would get. Yes, <clears throat> yes. I may not remember everything about two thousand. I forgot some things, but I remember the major things, and I remember Rikishi being wild over in two thousand. And like I said, it's like okay, people love him, so they'll will they'll, they'll be disappointed that he did this, and. We, we got other baby faces that we can rely on so we're good <laughs> you know what i'm saying we can afford to lose him <laughs> as a baby face he ain't moving a bunch of merch he's getting crazy reactions but we'll be all right we'll be good yeah and then they try to tie it with the connection of him being related to the rock and doing it for the rock i did it for the rock right but <laughs> which kind of made sense storyline wise like i did it because triple H put me up to it and then i wanted to help my family member advance his career by getting rid of steve austin because that was a guy in his way which in hindsight when you see how what happened after steve austin got hit by the car and how the rock i mean he was already pretty much a top guy he was a top guy but he took off as a babyface after that because he was the top babyface when steve austin was gone Uh, from november 99 until september 2000 when steve austin came back the rock was undoubtedly the number one babyface in wwe so 100%. I guess they traced it back to that and then, you know, but yeah, I agree with you. 99, they had no idea. They just had to get away to get Steve Austin on, off TV and they'll figure it out later. They concocted this plan because I don't think I, Rikishi would have been the guy they ha- they knew in 2- 99 because he was, he was no, nobody. I don't yeah. know if he's on TV
2: in 99. I don't think he was because I, well, he did the dance spot at the Royal Rumble in 2000. So maybe he was just starting, you know as Rikishi on TV Maybe. at that point. But, uh, yeah, definitely not to – they didn't think he would be where he was a year later. Yeah, that's bad. And what's funny is I thought – I didn't even think they were related, you know, when Rik- when they did that whole angle. I was kind of like, they don't look anything alike. But, <laughs> <it's> like, <laughs> I mean, they clearly do. But um. You don't
0: have the same face if you're not related.
2: <laughs> exactly. So I thought they were – like, I was like, oh, that's stupid. Like, Rikishi was so popular. Why would they do that? Stupid.
0: Yeah, I I I felt the same way. I was like, "What? Like, why Rikishi? Like, get X Pac or something? (laughs) Like, I don't know, (laughs) somebody."
2: I would I would have been mad at that because, in my opinion, I liked overall. I liked the Rikishi thing because, like I said earlier, it's like yeah, new people at the top, new main eventers. Because I was you know engulfed in the message board era of of this time, and everyone was pissed that the Undertaker, Triple H were. Uh, austin the rock they were main eventing for too long
0: man oh my god too, they can you imagine oh my long. god yeah that's wild too long meanwhile man. buildings are packed ratings are through the roof t-shirts flying off the shelves you don't have to change anything when everybody's still buying it bro <laughs> everybody's still buying it but let me let me toss you a question real quick before we move on let's go if it wasn't rikishi who on their roster could it have been the wheel man who could feasibly have been the wheel man could it have been <sighs> benoit who like maybe they could have said "Well, you know oh he wasn't a wwf yet when it happened right, well right. he was about to come in maybe he just didn't want to work with steve Austin, something like that like i'll clear the way and <laughs> soon as he comes soon as he gets steve Austin out the way that's when he comes in like i don't because it, like, it could have been another it could have been a heel it could have been somebody who was already heel.
2: yeah they, they did the whole uh uh what is it uh What's that word? What, what was Triple H the accomplice or whatever? Right, he was he was the conspirator. He was he was the guy
0: who concocted the plan. Yeah, cerebral. You know, was Is the, that where the, he was the, the, the saboteur? I don't know what you want to call. It, um, but he was he was the the, oh, the 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 mind. He was the brain. Yeah, I guess that the would have been.
2: Him. I guess that would have been the plan. Uh, and maybe as time went on, they're like, "Ah, it'd be better if we had two people. Then we could elevate one person. We could have like Triple yeah. H part of it, because Triple H just made too much sense." But at the same time, I would have thought Big Show because Big Show was the guy mm. who wound up replacing him in the main That's event. Fair, um, but he wasn't even on the show, was he? I don't.
0: What's he even? He probably was, had gotten sent down somewhere, the yeah, WWE or I'm something not, like that, because of his weight. Because I don't. Yeah, he wasn't he on was the was show, and I don't. But. I don't recall him doing too much in 2000 after he, lost. he was doing, like, the comedy stuff in early 2000 where, like, he was, like, the showster and he's coming out in a Scottish outfit and all that goofy stuff he was doing. After that, I don't recall him doing a whole lot. Right. So, yeah, you're right. He wasn't on the show. So maybe they could have brought him back as that guy.
2: Yeah, that would have been something like a repackaged big show at this point. And it probably right. would have been. Uh, but at the same time, it was like a a regular-looking car, you know, would we yeah, uh, real, realistically, wouldn't. he wouldn't fit in there. <laughs>
0: he probably wouldn't fit in that, though. No. <laughs> but they've so, yeah, taken they've taken know. creative license, creative liberties before, like Triple H yeah. dropping from a forklift 20 feet high in the air and surviving <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. in a they car, you know, like Triple H, stuff like
2: that. Yeah, put Triple H in the car and just have the big show as the one, like in the Triple H's role, like the one that concocted the plan or whatever. It made sense because he got in the match.
0: That's fair. That's 100% fair. That that would have been a good but way I to But I think a lot doc. of people,
2: if Big Show wasn't around, uh, people, I, that might have been like an actual predictable type of thing back then. They were probably assuming it was Big Show that ran him over. Yeah,
0: maybe, so. yeah, 99, they were probably like, well, when they finally reveal who this person was at some point in the future, it, you know, mm-hmm. even when Steve Austin came back and he was looking for the person who did right, it, Right. people were probably on the message boards, like, I think it's Big Show. <laughs> Hey, the one who won the title that night. That was you. That was you. That's my impersonation of you.
2: <laughs> that was a
0: pretty good one. Not going to lie. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, but yeah, that's an interesting uh, conversation. Interesting, like, little fan fiction there, even though it's all fiction, but, like, kind of fan fiction to, like, w- what if it wasn't Rikishi? Who could have sensibly been the guy have, to have, you, have you been the real man? Do you have someone in line? Uh, I. I so I don't know. I think Jer- I think Benoit would have been probably a good candidate, even though he wasn't in the company yet. Technically, mm. when that happened, well, the funny po- the actually, I think I, don't want I think Jericho could have been a good candidate if he wasn't so over as a babyface. Yeah,
2: yeah, that's he true. He wasn't
0: quite as over because he was really over. Like people forget how over mm. he was as a babyface in 2000, and he was moving merch and he was he was box office. Like the people would go crazy every time he came out, and he had people eating out of his hand. Like yeah. he was if. Rock and Steve Austin were one and two. You know you can swap whoever you want as one and two as baby faces. Jericho was number three, and I don't think anybody can dispute. That. I know people we can rag on Jericho for stuff he does now,
1: <laughs>
0: but in two thousand he was he was hot. He was hot. He had that. I remember the merch he had that Jericho, that y hockey jersey that was like a Rangers jersey because his dad yeah. played for the Rangers. Yeah, that was I know I know people bought that like it was nothing like especially if you're a Rangers fan, um, but. Every time I turned around, it seemed like he had a new shirt. Like that, he had the Jericho Holic shirt. That was kind of a dope shirt too. That Jericho Holic shirt, like a the label, the uh, bottle, the, the, the label that's on a bottle of alcohol. So, but yeah. Uh, but again, because he was so over, I don't think they wanted to move him out of a babyface role. So I don't yeah. know. I, I guess uh, I my answer would have been
2: Benoit. But Benoit is a good one, and they could have easily explained it because he technically uh, the story for all four radicals coming in was Triple H brought him in Uh, as like you know Mick Foley thought he was bringing them in but they turned on him because Triple H really signed them all along and they could have had that you know as the beginning if Benoit does this then maybe I'll bring all four of you guys in I mean it could have been a great callback and a reason to give of why these four radicals randomly showed up uh, at the same time so it would have been a cool little story I'm sure they could have put
0: together yeah, I think, you know, they could have made something out of it. Uh, but moving on, though, moving on from Rikishi to China versus Val Venus. We talked about earlier intergender stuff uh, where, you know, Lita was kind of sort of the damsel in distress from the big bad Malenko. China was not. She was never a damsel in distress. She was whooping people's asses. Uh, and in this night, she was going against Val Venus. Uh, and the match, day, it was pretty even with both of them. There was no like, oh, well, she's a woman. Nope. Yeah. China was the, yep. the ninth wonder, wonder of the world, and she came out with her own pyro gun, and she had a big pop, big entrance, and it reminded me, it's like, yo, China was a big star, man. Before she left WWE, I mean, she was the top woman in the industry during her mm-hmm. peak. Mm -hmm. And Jr. who did a podcast about the show, not last week or two weeks ago, whatever it was, talked about that China only wanted to fight men, pretty much at this point. Which, I guess, uh, and and I guess they didn't really want her to just only fight men. She didn't really, she didn't want to really want to fight women. She thought the women were beneath her.
2: Yeah, and honestly, at, at this point in her career, I don't necessarily disagree with that thought process because I don't either. A year before she was already co winner continental champion, you know, like she had already done that stuff. So it it only made sense for her career and the fact that she could actually have a, a legitimate competitive match uh, and, and make it look legitimate with any male on the roster, why wouldn't you just go that route? And right. I know she wound up she wound up in a women's title match at the Royal Rumble, but you know, this was you know I I went into this match not even remembering it happened. I I was surprised when it was going to be like China versus Valvinus. I was like, wait, what? This happened? And, <laughs> and I even kind of wrote down WWE would probably be under a lot of scrutiny today if they did this type of stuff. But in 2000, with, with someone like China, and I guess it was like a once-in-a-lifetime type of uh time frame where you had someone like China who could literally have a competitive match with anyone and you put her in there and to me it was a, f- a good match you know it was an actually good a good match even right. though you had Valvina's win but uh you know to me I I really enjoyed it actually
0: yeah China was a once in a lifetime type of talent she was like yeah. really was like a well, you really think about it like they probably never use a woman like china ever again yeah you know what i'm it's saying true. not just yeah. for pc reasons just because i don't that there aren't too many china's walking around in this world no. like <laughs> from what she brought to the table because um, i agree with you it's like i don't i don't blame her for feeling the way she did it's like y'all put me in y'all gave me the intercontinental championship not once but twice mm. she never wrestled women even before she started wrestling, because she wasn't really wrestling. She didn't wrestle for a couple right, years. She just right. was Triple H's bodyguard. For one, you made her a bodyguard for a man. <laughs> like, it was meant she went to fight off men just from jump, which I know it was supposed to be a heat thing for Triple H, but she's fighting men. She's beating up all of Triple H's opponents <laughs> before she broke away from Triple H. Then yep. she becomes a two-time Intercontinental Champion. She's in the King of the Ring. She was in the Royal Rumble. She was number 30 in the yeah, 99 Rumble, right? Yeah, yep. You know what I'm saying? And she was number thirty. That's before she broke away from Triple H. They were still in cahoots. Uh, DX is yeah. still a thing in, 90, in early '99. Mm-hmm. So, and she was number thirty in that Rumble. So, you already kind of put her in with mix her in with the men already. But so now, when she says, "Hey, I want to only wrestle men. I don't want to wrestle women," it's like, "What? What do you mean?" Like, and I guess I understand. Like, hey, we want to mix it up, maybe. I don't know, but like, and then she, they, you know, she asked for a lot of money and. They wasn't willing to give it to her, and now all of a sudden, a year or so later, she's out of the company, and it's like, what the hell? (laughs) I know, right? Out of the business. She she popped up in TNA, I think, once or twice, but like, really? Hmm. Yeah, but either way, it's like, it sounded like a woman spoke up, tried to get her worth, and the men in charge wasn't really having it. Yeah,
2: yeah, and that's uh, that's what it sounds like. Because China, go ahead. No, I was gonna say that's the problem I kind of have with it because you know she she had did. Proven, like she proved herself, you know. Like it they was, put, it was they put her in those
0: positions. Exactly. It wasn't like she. It was like a wrestling isn't like just a meritocracy. It's also somebody has to say, hey, you, you're going to be in this spot. They put her in those positions. Now maybe she wasn't going to be WWF champion because not just because she was a woman, but also because again, it was hard to crack that part of the roster in that part of the card because you had Hall of Fame talent at that part of the car with Rock, Steve Austin, Triple H, and Mick Foley. Uh, undertaker like jericho like those were the top guys i understand maybe they didn't want to make her wwf champion or whatever because hell val venus wasn't going to be wwf champion you know hardcore holly wasn't (laughs) going to be wwf champion there were a lot of guys in the roster who just weren't going to be in that position but they put her in a spot to in a featured position no other woman on the roster was like her given the entrance the lights would would go down she had the gun, the little, the little pyro thing. Yeah. She would shoot out the pyro, <laughs> like, the music. She was a featured person on that roster. You look at this, just just this match alone, she was a star. She was a player. Because, again, the lighting, the entrance, you knew instantly she was a player. Again, Hucker Holly didn't get the lights dimmed for his entrance. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, K Quick didn't get this. China did. So they put her in this spot, and she got over it was like they put her there and she fell on her face and nobody bought in people bought in so when she comes back to the table it's like yo I want top money now because I'm kind of a top person I'm kind of a top woman top person you know in this mm-hmm. business now mm-hmm. I'm featured I, I was in playboy uh, I remember they did like true life on MTV I'm a pro wrestler yeah they followed that. China around yeah you know like she was a big deal if if you lined up the top people in the business China was one of them especially from a woman's standpoint she's by far mm-hmm. and away the top woman in wrestling
2: yeah and, and the I guess, w- like I women's said, division was just so watered I don't want to say watered down because they had it some was great talent but it was an afterthought yeah it wasn't even like we'll we'll see later on it, it's it, China being the face of the women's division didn't do anything for her you know it I don't want to say brought her down, but uh, she she had outgrown that. You know, like, it, she really had outgrown a women's right. division because she was she already... She outgrew it
0: because WWF helped they her. Water, you know? They yeah. watered the plants, <laughs> like yeah, exactly. You know what so They watered the seed. It wasn't like she was in the women's division and her she just became a big star. Like like she's Charlotte or Sasha Banks or Becky Lynch. She, they they put her in those spots. You know what I'm saying? They, somebody, Vince Man said, hey, you're going to be intercontinental champion tonight. Hey, you're going to be in the King of the Ring. You're going to be number 30 in the Royal Rumble. And everybody else was like, yep, yep, that's a good thing. <laughs> Every guy sold for her when she would do moves to him, including this night against Val Venus, He would punch her. He would sell. Yeah. So it wasn't like people were putting up resistance for her climb, but as soon as she wanted to really break through that glass ceiling from a financial standpoint, it sounded like, and from a card standpoint, she wanted to be in that main event status. When it came to that, it was like, "Ooh, whoa, wait a second here. Let's not get carried away. You know, (laughs) you're still just a woman." It's like, "Whoa, What Uh, what are you talking about? Beating up men for five years now. Since when she came in '97, so three years. Yeah. So what are you talking about? You put me on the cover of Playboy. Like I'm only the second woman to do that. Sable was the first. Uh I'm the second. What's up? (laughs) Like, (laughs) pay me what I'm worth. Like I'm worth a lot, and I don't blame China for going to the table and taking asking for her worth. Now I'm sure, on top of that nonsense, you had the whole Triple A Stephanie thing. I'm sure that would made it tough for her at the time, and that's tough, probably awkward for everybody involved. But um, so yeah, I just I always felt some type of way about that, and of course how she was kind of pretty much shunned after the fact, because I know she got you know she had some issues with substance abuse, and then she did porn, which is like that's not necessarily a reason why to. Shuna, but as soon as she dies, all of a sudden, right? China's a hall of famer, and it's like, come yeah. on, man! She was here; she was alive. See, we
2: can see right through that.
0: This is just a charade. Right. She was alive. Y'all could have honored her as one of the more unique and popular mm-hmm. acts y'all had mm-hmm. for only. She only was there for like since until two thousand one, like two thousand two, yeah. so like four or five years. She's still probably, arguably, the most popular female wrestler they've ever had. And she's up there with Sable, Trish Stratus, Sunny, mm-hmm. and whoever else you want to put in that in that stratosphere. She, China's right ne- there next to him, as far as yeah. his popularity and and name value. Yep. Yeah. So you said it. Rest in peace, of China. Uh, I think rest she deserved peace. better. She had her issues, obviously, but I think she deserved better from the industry uh, and that she gave so much of herself to uh, during her career, after her career. You know, so rest in peace to China, Joni Lara. Um, But on this night, she goes up against Val Venus, who's a part of rights to censor. Mm. And I don't know about you, man, but this group had heat with me when I was a kid. (laughs) (laughs) Like When I was a kid, I hated this group. It was that damn theme for me. It was that theme, which I didn't even know had music under it until I played, I think, Smackdown 2 Know Your Role. (laughs) <laughs> and you really hear the music better instead of any arena and I was like oh they actually they actually have music underneath that but all I heard was that warning warning I, oh god <laughs> I hated that man and I just hated like they just didn't want to have any fun <laughs> and then they ruined I, I just wanted to have fun you know I was a kid and then they took all the fun characters away like Godfather yeah. the good father <laughs> Val Venus, you know it's like Oh, get out of here it was hilarious it was hilarious and then but i'll give i'll give him this much credit stephen richards well he was (laughs) fantastic at the leader of that group
2: yeah i loved it because i knew just by reading online it was a spoof of you know the ptc or whatever uh the parent council and how people were so against wwf at this time because of the product and uh you know it was basically a group to go again to just kind of like parody them so i didn't even like i hated the theme but because i was like, well, following this stuff online and reading that uh to me i just kind of like laughed at it i was i wasn't like exactly mad when they would win or that they had titles here and there but uh it just kind of made me laugh i don't know it's kind of like a comedy group to me
1: at the even time, though even though they didn't group.
2: even though they didn't seem like yeah they didn't like give off that comedy vibe but for me like knowing it's the spoof of this uh council or whatever that was enough for me to just kind of laugh at it
0: i didn't laugh as a kid i was i hated him <laughs> uh, i hated him so much i give Stephen richards philly native stevie riches i give him his credit um but he he did a great job with the playing the role but i hated that group but I wrote down it was like this group was also just a group of guys that, that they had to do something with with all the the mid card acts from ninety eight and ninety nine, yeah, like yeah. <laughs> because had
2: a lot of talent.
0: But that's 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 a thing because like like I said, they had so much talent this year that guys like Godfather, who was a main like a a, pre, a, a guy that people wanted to see in ninety eight and ninety nine. Uh, I guess mostly 99, right? Because 98, he was in the nation of domination. But mm. by 99, he was an intercontinental champion. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, I remember. How <laughs> how wild is that? The Godfather. That's the year that made him a Hall of Famer. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I remember, like, I used to I used to quote the things he said <laughs> <laughs> as a kid. Pimpin' hoes, nationwide. <laughs> I used to look forward to that as a kid, to be able to, like, I remember... Talks to my friends like, "Oh, we're gonna watch wrestling tonight." Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we imitate The Godfather. I can't wait to see this. It was like, <laughs> so he was a big time act that people wanted to see. And again, intercontinental champion, not a, not small potatoes, not, not something to sneeze at. Val Venus, big over, right? We yeah. we watched the WrestleMania yeah. Rage Party from early '99. <laughs> he comes out with no shoes on for some reason, but he comes out. The the people went crazy for Val Venus. And a little over a year later, he's lost in the shuffle because WWF brought in Kurt Angle and Chris Jericho and Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero and Taz. And it's like, damn, like, they got a lineup now. <laughs> and like guys like Edge and Christian were, became stars. Yeah. The Hardy Boys became stars. The Dudley Boys came in. And it's like, where well, there's no room for the Headbangers no more. Cause we got the Dudley Boys now. We got two cool too. <laughs> Bangers. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like uh. those acts of '98 and '99 that were on TV a lot. And Val, in the case of Val, Venus and Val and the Good, the Godfather. I'm almost calling them the Good but the <laughs> Godfather. Those guys were over. But by 2000, they were out. <laughs> <And> like <laughs> it was like, okay, well, who would you rather see, Kurt Angle or the Godfather? <laughs> Kurt Angle, Kurt Angle was, <laughs> he was on his way up. He was going to be champion, and he could cut a promo, and he could work his ass off. Kurt Angle, like, Val Venus or Chris Jericho? I mean, come on. <laughs> this was easy. So it's like they had something to do, do something with these mid-card acts from back then, so put them in it's right like, to Sensen, What the what hell?
2: What else could you do with Val Venus? You already kind of did everything you
0: could do with that character. <laughs> that's true. That's, that's a fair point because both of those characters is over as they were those characters had a shelf life. They couldn't do yeah. the stuff week after. And week that's why I thought they were years. like almost
2: a perfect fit for this group. It was like, if I, if you were to come to me, you know, a month before they made that group, and like, who would be the two talents that you would absolutely put in this group? I would say Val Venis and the Godfather just based on their character, because they would be they a perfect heel. They would be a perfect heel for that group.
0: Yeah. They would be the guys <laughs> you would never expect to be in that group. Yeah number one number two they need something else to do like they needed a new direction because we got guys who got depth like who can make do anything and these these characters are characters they were like rated r or pg-13 versions of (laughs) gimmicks from 95 almost (laughs) where you had t.o hopper and thurman sparky plug they were gimmicks (laughs) they were right the goon the Godfather and Val Venus were essentially PG-13 slash rated R, or rated X versions of gimmicks. You know, instead of a plumber, a porn star. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> instead of a, a stock car driver, a pimp. Right. Instead of a stock car driver, he's a pimp. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a job, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's an occupation, just a, an adult one. <laughs> you know but again those characters had shelf lives they, you know they they couldn't last forever uh so yeah it was just, I just there's another interesting thing i noticed uh about this match uh another thing i noticed that jerry lawler called ivory a butterface, which i did not agree with at all no not at all ivory was very attractive what are I you talking know, about i don't know why it's, it, he wasn't even like a
2: face here at this point, Jerry Lawler. So I don't know if he was just no. trying. I, I guess he was against the RTC though, because you know right. he he liked fun too. So that's probably his way right. of being a heel against them, or not. And heel, I guess like a fa- baby face,
0: right? And I guess Ivory and her character at this point was doing everything she could to not be attractive. You know that she, you would consider her not attractive, <laughs> right? Actually, but in reality, Ivory could get it. <laughs> like like let's yeah. not let's yeah. not 100%. act like Ivory wasn't an attractive woman. She was up on my wall. Right, it was nice. <laughs> I like Ivory. Um, let's see here. We had a match. Uh, ivory tripped China. No, here we go. China eventually gave chase to Ivory, and Ivory, while she's running away from China, tripped over her own feet like a white woman in a horror movie. It was just <laughs> like, you know, you I mean you haven't seen a ton of movies, but one of the tropes is that. When the white girl is running away from the bad guys so let's say it's jason for this instance jason is walking number one he's never runs or he rarely runs and the white woman's running oh my god and she just trips over nothing <laughs> and falls oh and then jason somehow is right there as soon as she falls he's right there even though he was walking the whole time and he kills her <laughs> <laughs> than that. yeah but china was chasing ivory but she ran into Val Venus, who put her in a fisherman suplex, and got the win. <laughs>
2: you so. said fisherman suplex. I said perfect plex.
0: <laughs> perfect plex. They called it a fisherman suplex. But yes, it is a perfect plex. <laughs>
2: no, it's funny because um, I just forgot the name of it. I just always say perfect plex now. But I remember now. I know it's a, technically a fisherman
0: suplex. But yeah, but it's a perfect plex. I so, I, well, I, I was wrong. I guess no, I was wrong. No, they no. didn't want to call it a perfect plex when perfect wasn't no, in the company. No, but. No like i yeah. guess val really needed that win <laughs> i guess what is like, what the <laughs> hell, man
2: i'm so pissed. I guess, like i know it's, it's a just set up the royal rumble but still i was like come on
0: right it's, it's just another way to get heat on ivory and that group pretty much um china almost got her hands on ivory but val venus not only thwarted her but hit her with a blue thunder bomb for, yeah, <laughs> for good measures. Yeah. Like, damn,
2: yeah, that was like,
0: so <laughs> random and weird. You like, didn't have to do that. You could just knock her down and ran. Yeah, you already beat her. Like, what the hell? <laughs> no, not only am I gonna not let you hit my homie. Here's a blue thunder bomb. Bam, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> take that. <laughs> well, at so. the same time,
2: it did give uh, s- some, uh, you know, credit to China because he needed to do that almost, I guess you know to get out of the way it's like hey i gotta i had to hit you with this move it's not you know just like a shove or a punch or anything like that at least you know looking back it it was just so crazy though because i'm not thinking this when i'm watching it live i'm just kind of like annoyed i was like why the hell did val win there made no sense
0: (laughs) again i think it's just to get heat on the group that could have been anybody else in that group and the same thing probably would have happened Mm. so that's just me that's my thoughts um Moving on, though, move on to another flash- flashback to that Cactus Jack Triple H match at Hell in a Cell. Nothing really to see here. Um, but we move on to Stephanie McMahon now, who is backstage with her father, Vince. And she can- and she's crying to her dad that she's worried about Triple H in this Hell in a Cell match. And this is when Vince says, you know what? God damn it. I'm going to put a stop to this Hell in a Cell more on that later because Vince concocts a plan that doesn't work out too well but we're going to see then we cut to an interview with Kevin Kelly and the Undertaker from earlier in the day this is what I really noticed at the camera how they shot the Undertaker and how it was kind of moving around all the time wasn't really necessary but they did it but they're standing inside the Hell in a Cell earlier in the day Uh, I noticed that Undertaker was wearing a New York New Jersey Hitman hat from the (laughs) XFL
2: Hey, that wasn't the only uh, XFL uh, Mention, or oh yeah, there's another say, one. Like, s- citing, I should say.
0: Right, you know, the first incarnation of the XFL started in April of 2001. So they, of course they're promoting it uh, in different ways and whatnot. So just that, that—that's XFL 1.0. Then we got the 2.0 earlier this year, and 3.0 is gonna come with the Rock. How about that? What a time! <laughs> Full circle. What a time! Full circle, right? <laughs> uh, what a time! It's always some wrestling involved with the XFL. Uh, but <laughs> that's true. Somehow, way,
2: Real life ballers episode.
0: <laughs> That'd be dope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but The Undertaker's talking about what kind of the Hell in a Cell turns him into. Turns him into a monster, right? <laughs> and they kind of spliced in footage of him beating up HBK and I wrote down when he did that table spot with Shawn Michaels at the first Hell in a Cell. I thought that spot was awesome. Yeah. Like, so holds it, up. Much safer than the Mick Foley spot. But just as effective, right? Well not really just as effective, I should say, but pretty effective. It right? was great
2: because you could see it coming too, like with the hands right. and hanging and you just knew what was gonna happen.
0: And it was just like for that time, that was crazy. And then a year later that they upped the ante too much <laughs> with McFoley. <Mick laughs> yeah. But it in, in ninety seven, him falling off the side of that cage like that through that table was like, whoa, this match is bonkers. Yep. And then you got uh King going, incoming, incoming, before <laughs> <Yeah>. he falls. <laughs> It was that match is still you know, to this day. By the
2: way, the that best. was perfect timing by Jerry Lawler because he started yelling that before Shawn Michaels left the uh, let go of the cage. So I, yeah. I understand like the timing. He knew that Undertaker was going to stomp on his hand. That was the only hand that was on there. So I'm sure he timed it. But I'm telling you, man, the timing could not have been better because he was like incoming, incoming, and then boom! Like you, you hear yeah. it, and it was just, everything was perfect about that whole setup.
0: It was so chaotic but so perfect at the same yeah, time. It exactly. was great. There's just so much going on. Uh, Undertaker walks through his destruction again. He talks about uh the Mick Foley one and you know how it made him feel and all this and that. He talks about he's gotta go to that place again tonight. This is a long winded yeah, spliced really in footage interview. Too long. <laughs> yeah, it was kinda of, it was kinda of long. Especially because again, things in this era just wasn't they didn't play out for that long. They were in and out quickly. Yeah. Things didn't really take that long. This is, like, a long, real, like, kind of monologue-ish type of promo from The Undertaker, which is also something you didn't really see from him uh, back in these days. Um, But out next is Vince McMahon and the Stooges. Pat Patterson, rest in peace, and Gerald Briscoe. And this was when, for context, Vince McMahon had asked Linda McMahon for a divorce (laughs) after 34 years she wasn't good enough for me then she never (laughs) will be good enough for me so they're getting a divorce on tv it's just the drama is just getting turned all the way up in wwf um but i wrote down as an observation i made that lyndon mcmahon used to be like the nicest of the mcmahon's (laughs) on television right like whenever you heard her fake michael jackson music you knew that justice was going to be served and all the wrongs that her family members, her son, her daughter, or her husband, all the wrongs they had did were going to be righted, right? She seemed like the most level-headed one. Mm-hmm. She would always come in with calm and grace and, you know, and just make the right decisions and right the wrongs. She made Steve Austin the president that one time and of <laughs> yes. uh, the company, which was hilarious when he was the president of the company. She every time she came in, it was always when Vince McMahon had done something so dastardly <laughs> that only his wife could <laughs> stop yeah, it. Yeah. And the board, that was the thing too, the board of directors. She, became, they ran, they, the,
2: she became the biggest baby face.
0: <laughs> right. She was the white knight, essentially, who come in and saved the day. And I think about like now, I don't think that anymore about Linda McMahon. Oh, no, <laughs> like, not at all. Because of her, Because of her political affiliations. It's like, yeah. what the hell? You turned heel on me a long time ago. <laughs> um but of course the divorce angle leads to WrestleMania seventeen. I didn't I forgot they were playing yeah. it out back this far back in December. Yeah. yeah. Um but of course it led up to that match against Shane, where she's supposed to be comatose. <laughs> like right or <laughs> yeah. or uh what's the I don't know what the right word is. I don't no, know. I yeah, comatose it. is the right word. Yep. And she's sitting in the chair. And Vince is about yeah. to hit Shane with the, the, the trash can. And all <laughs> Linda McMahon does is stand up out of that chair. And people lost their minds when she did that. One of the biggest I don't think she ever. had I don't think she had moved weeks before that. <laughs> like <laughs> they would just wear her out and she was yeah, doing yep. that blank face. Which I guess like good for her. She did a good job at that. I'll give her credit. For just sitting there making no she didn't smile, yeah. she didn't make any expressions. Yeah, that's true. She didn't laugh. It was just blank stare. And at the perfect time, boop. And people went crazy. And it's like, damn, there's little simple things. If you can take anything from that, you don't need a million things to make it work. It's just that one simple thing of her going from a seated position to an upright position made people throw babies in the air. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And I think that's a lesson to be learned in that. Now, don't learn too many other lessons from Lyndon McMahon. But from that particular story... Just her standing up. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's just you got to tell these stories right, man. Because you don't have to. You don't have to go overboard when you tell the good. When you're over and you tell good stories,
2: it's one of my favorite so. pops of all time.
0: It is because it's so simple. Mm-hmm. It's such a simple pop. I remember watching it live. I was like, oh snap! You know,
2: and the funny part is, I don't even remember. How she got that way? Like, did they drug her, or yeah, was she they on...
0: just started giving her a bunch of medicine? <laughs> <laughs> like, was it a fake like,
2: doctor doing it, or was it them doing it? I don't it? know. It's I think crazy. She, like, I, need, I think in story, I need to go back. Trish and, had
0: of that out. <laughs> I think in story, Trish had stopped giving her the medicine. I remember, Trish was the one taking care of her
2: at WrestleMania, yeah. But I don't know if she was at this point. She, she, yeah, again. no, not
0: at this point. They weren't doing that at this point. I don't think, but eventually. After Vince makes out with Trish and does make her bark oh like a dog, which is wild. Oh my God. Trish is the one that's taking care of Linda while Vince is out yeah. doing his dirt. Yeah. And <laughs> Steph, And then Stephanie and Trish have their little beef going. Right. Yeah. I vividly remember at WrestleMania 17, Steph coming in to Trish and be like, hey, did you chop up the ice like I told you? I'm like, you know, you break it up with <laughs> a spoon, like giving her the orders and stuff like that. Like, yeah, you know, do it this way. And then Steph comes down during the match and beats up Trish at some. Beats up no Trish beats up Steph at some point during the match or something like that. Uh, at yes, because like she but, was yeah. flirt, flirting
2: with Triple H too at some point, so that yeah that Steph happened.
0: Off was that two thousand? Two thousand or two thousand one? Because I remember when well, was, Triple H was Triple H putting like a hold on her yeah, and had yeah. her bent over and Steph walks in. <laughs> yeah, it's probably before WrestleMania, I would think. So it something had to be like that. I can't there. remember. Yeah, but that was good stuff too. But yeah. Uh, but on this night, Vince he reiterates that he wants a divorce from his from his wife. Yeah. <laughs> but he said I meant it when I said I wanted a divorce. I was like, okay. <laughs> like, jeez. No, I hope you <laughs> did, bro. You don't just come out and say stuff like that. Um but the soft side in him didn't want the hell to the cell to happen. He was talking to people, not as a billionaire, certified billionaire, <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: but as a humanitarian. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Oh, that's great
0: I wrote that they didn't really need this promo but I guess they did because they had to fill some time because it's a three hour show but I wrote that Vince was just a tremendous character he's tremendous when he's going around telling people to stand up stand up come on I see you you're standing up you too come on I see if you yeah. over here stand up damn it <laughs> he just gets pissed off <laughs> he was look you don't have to agree with everything Vince McMahon does today. No one does. He, you know, he's not great a creative anymore. His political affiliations, whatever the case, maybe wait the way he treats talent with the whole Twitch situation mm. and all that. But as a character, as an on-screen character in '98 through 2001, whatever, he was fantastic. <laughs> like he was still to this day probably the best heel of all time.
2: Yeah, hard hard to disagree with that. As he, he literally had the crowd in his palm at all times. Uh, just that little thing, like, "Damn it!" I said, "Stand up." He's not just sitting around and looking and waiting and then going on with his promo. He's getting a reaction. He's eliciting a reaction, and it's something that you know they don't exactly, for some reason, with crowds before the pandemic started. Even when crowds were there, promos were not meant. They're not writing, written to elicit a reaction. You know, that's just how it comes across. Here, you just see him. He's playing into it. He knows that, all right, the crowd's starting to, like, get, you know, more into it when he's keeps saying stand up. And then, of course, he just takes it to the next level. Damn it, I said stand up. And Damn that's, it, I said what, stand that's up. the crescendo. That's the crescendo of the promo. And for some reason, they just don't write him like that anymore. And... I'm not saying like know. this was written, but they don't. It just doesn't happen anymore, and oh, it was. It's just so great. I love watching these promos from this time frame because, uh, I mean, yeah. a lot of them were bad, yeah. Because you know, some promos had a lot of slip ups, and others, you know, were perfect. But um, you know, just it, it was the epitome of a Vince McMahon promo in 2000, just waving his cane at you know the whole crowd, <laughs> like damn it, I said stand up, like just so awesome. Yeah, he look. I, and just the oh, words he used. He said, uh, if I can, you know, say this, he was like, you're all responsible for the carnage. And as you'll see, your favorite WWF superstars mired in the afterbirth. Like, <laughs> like the <laughs> words <laughs> the he afterbirth. used, I didn't even know what that meant, you know, in 2000. And uh, just, just looking back, and I actually laughed when I rewatched that. I was like, that's hilarious. Just He used these words that I had no clue about, like what they meant back then as a. What, 12, 13, 14 year old kid? So.
0: Yeah. Uh, 15, Vince McMahon is 15 a character, at this
2: point, 15 at this point, but still.
0: Just solely as an on screen character, I love me some Vince McMahon. But Mr. McMahon. Like, he is the way he plays that character he plays up everything yeah. he does everything he does is like yeah. turned up to 11 yeah. his facial expressions the way he sells different things the way he's talking to the stooges, he's trying to get into the ring he's like trying yeah. to get in and yeah, that's because his legs so hurt perfect and he's like oh he's like, oh oh that's all ginger and stuff like that oh god oh oh okay i got it like fix the step damn it <laughs> right all that difference like it's just a little things that he would do is just so funny it's just so great um so yeah, that, that that promo like I said, mostly time filler, but Vince got the most out of it. Yeah. And actually um, I
2: did like it because I totally I, I forgot why he didn't want the Hell in a Cell to go on and you know, this was a good kind of reminder that he didn't want the carnage, you know. Like he didn't right. want his best money makers to get hurt, and uh, it wasn't about them. It was about him as a like of he course. he said like not as a certified billionaire, but that's exactly why it, it what right. it was about. So he was doing that that as was a humanitarian. He was yeah, worried exactly. about the he-
0: <laughs> well beings, not about the money. <laughs> so the well beings. It.
2: it w- I think it was good. I think it was necessary for any casual fan that probably d- might not watch every week, but they would order this pay per view just based on the main event, and I think that's probably why they included this, because if you didn't watch the TV leading up to this, you might not know why Vince was so adamant against having the Hell in a Cell, so mm-hmm. I liked it, and it was, like you said, it was like a perfect promo
0: it was it was hilarious, uh, moving on we got a last man standing match between Kane and Chris Jericho over a few that started over a hot cup of coffee <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> love it <sighs> That's <laughs> weird. That's wild, but it's interesting that these two guys kind of kind of got left out of the hell in a cell. But they're still like big time players mm-hmm. at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wrote a year late. Like I wrote down a year later, Jericho was winning the undisputed championship. Like, yeah, like, just a year after this. Mm-hmm. Um, but this match itself, for me, I thought it was a little too long. And I realized that I don't think I like last man standing matches. I don't Mm. think I'm a fan of them at all. I think that, no, I think that they're very anticlimactic and unless the people involved are like wildly over, I don't think they really work. Mm. Like there had to be some high, high stakes involved. Case in point, Jericho earlier in the year had a last man standing match against triple H Against Triple H, that match meant way more. Not not nothing against Kane. It's just that Triple H was represented like a stepping stone to the main event for Chris Jericho. Yeah, yeah. And it was a measure of revenge because he had taken the title away from Chris Jericho that night when Jericho beat him. So this is like this is like his revenge, and it and I think the fans knew like if he gets a win over Triple H this is a big deal for Jericho. And when he was trying to you know, get to those ten counts and whatnot. The fans were really into it, and I think he lost Triple H that night. So that you know, but against Kane and a stupid story that had really didn't have that much heat. It felt anticlimactic. Again, that Jericho Triple H story had heat. Like, mm-hmm. they were fighting each other every week. It was it was a big deal. This just didn't. This wasn't to that level.
2: <sighs> that's a that's a good observation. I didn't really. I paid more attention to the botches uh, than I did the actual match yeah. and anything going on. I paid more attention to Teddy Long as the referee. This was the first time I really noticed him as a referee. I don't know he if he balled. was. A he didn't have that. a
0: jericho but' <laughs> That's right. Or and, Kerm, uh, whatever he had, it was it, terrible.
2: This when I noticed the dudes eating lunch on their truck. <laughs> it was like when they fought to the back, and I was like, "Hey, right. that's another call back to that
0: truck. That's that's hilarious." Right. And, Which uh, I found weird that they. So they started fighting like in the aisle way and then they immediately yeah. left the arena yeah. and I think the crowd was like hyped they were like yeah and then like they left and they are like oh yeah. like they just brought the crowd down right away But like, they were happy to see Jericho and then as soon as Jericho like it's like halfway to the ring it's like or was it uh yeah Kane Kane met Jericho uh when Jericho was making his entrance and Jericho again super over so the fans were like yeah Jericho and then Kane comes and they fight and then they leave and it's like oh well damn <laughs> And then they didn't have a camera back there for like thirty seconds, and then they finally showed him, and then they just started punching Midian for no reason. <laughs> 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 Poor Midian, it's like, why did they? Why, how did he get caught in the crossfire? <laughs> At least Kane was like supposed to be blinded, yeah. but Jericho wasn't. He just cocked back one, pow, get out of here, Midian. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's um, it, it was yeah. I last man standing. I I I don't really hate or love them but uh there was a teddy really messed it up for me i'm gonna say like i I paid more attention to him screwing up the counting than i did anything kane or jericho did because uh he like stopped counting when jericho was up at eight but it's like no it's a last man standing match both men have to answer the 10 count and uh you know teddy would have hit 10 if he kept counting before kane got up so uh it made me angry about this match and uh uh, you know, looking back and just not not really liking uh, the dynamic these two had. It wasn't like them, I guess. It was just, I guess they needed a, another stipulation match. And it's Armageddon. Let's go last man standing. It's weird. It wasn't like a blood feud. So, I don't know. It didn't land for me. Yeah, I did it like the ending. Though. The ending made me laugh.
0: Yeah, but those barrels didn't land on Kane. Uh, Yeah,
2: but his arm was trying to come up and Jericho kicking through it. Like, it just made me laugh. (laughs) I mean, nothing ever looks realistic when they do stuff like that. I wish they would have, the angle would have been, you know, further to the right where you can't see clearly missing Kane.
0: (laughs) Right. And barrels land on something else, not Kane? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, maybe a different angle would have helped it. Yeah. But, yeah, it, it was okay. Jericho wins. So. Good for him. <laughs> uh, we move on to an interview backstage with Mick Foley. He's in, being interviewed by Jonathan Coachman. And, you know, Coach asked him if he had second thoughts about the Hell in a Cell match. And he's like, yeah, I, I'm having second thoughts, third thoughts or whatever, but whatever. <laughs> the match is still happening. So, okay. My favorite part of this? He's like, having that? second
2: thoughts, third thoughts, fourth thoughts, fifth thoughts. And he's, he's having his fingers, like, count them out, but he's always one finger behind. <laughs> so he's like, I'm having third thoughts, well, and he has two fingers up.
0: And then fourth thoughts, he has three fingers up. Just maybe laugh. Was he using his thumb at all on this, too? No, I don't, no, know. I don't he he think used so. His
2: thumb. I don't think so. But
0: It was weird. It, it was definitely laugh. weird. I noticed that, too, a little maybe, bit. Maybe laugh. I, it uh, made me
2: laugh so much that I had to actually note it. Like, that's uh, how I'm, But by the way, I loved his offices. You know, McFoley's like, oh, yeah, offices, yeah. they were
0: fantastic. His a, offices and... The APA's offices, yes, yeah, fan <laughs> were great. Awesome, awesome, great stuff. Um, <laughs> WWF again, like two thousand. Th- there was some good stuff happening that year, man. There's a lot of yeah. stuff going on. You're listening to the Straight Shooters, featuring Vaughn Johnson and Nick Picone giving you the best and worst in the world of professional wrestling past and present. The Straight Shooters podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, the Radio.com app, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Spreaker, Player FM, and wherever else you listen to your podcasts. You can become a patron of The Straight Shooters for only $2 per month. By signing up at patreon.com forward slash shooters radio. You'll get exclusive content never before heard from two of the best. You can also listen to classic episodes of the straight shooters at shootersradio.com. Uh then we cut to an interview with JR with Shawn Michaels, who's back at WWF New York, baby. <laughs> The insanely expensive rent of WWF New York, packed to the gills with Shawn Michaels with his cowboy hat on. Um, And they talk about, oh, you know, what is it like being a hell in a cell? And Shawn Michaels gives his thoughts about it. And it was real quick and fast. And it was like, I'm not used to seeing Shawn Michaels just be like another person, like just out there, except like maybe now because he's like retired. But like back then, it's just like odd to see Shawn Michaels be like quick interview and then bye. And that's it. I used to see him as like the star of the show. And I know why he wasn't like the star of the show. He was retired and going through things in his life, personal life, but still strange to see. Yeah, th- at, I mean, at this point, I he was just like a
2: a voice, you know. I didn't care about him at this point, you know. As bad as that sounds, I was like, okay, Shawn Michaels, if he's not going to wrestle, I don't care about him because he wasn't doing anything. He wasn't managing, nice. he wasn't like doing anything, so like I don't care about him. You know, that's how I was as a fan fifteen years old. Like, okay, he's not doing anything, why are we interviewing him?
0: So And they and they used him as like the commissioner. Yeah, yeah. And earlier in this year they used him as the referee for the the uh was it the uh, was it the not the last man standing, the Iron Man match with Triple H and The Rock. And he oh, was the referee yeah, for yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Judgment day, yeah. So, you know, they had used use them here and there, but it's like you said, it's like, what now? You know, whatever. So, move on from that. Then we get, they show a, a couple of unnamed Birmingham <laughs> Bolts players did who were... Did
2: you try to figure, did you try to research the nope, names? Who,
0: <laughs> not at all. Didn't know who those guys were. Um, Birmingham But yeah, Bolts. of course, Birmingham Bolts of the XFL. But here's the interesting thing about the Birmingham Bolts. I don't know if you knew this or not, Nick. Hmm. But the Birmingham Bolts were originally called the Birmingham Blast. And you see the you you know the the branding of that team, the B is always really prominent. Hmm. It's supposed to be for blast, not for bolts, right? Hmm. But then they changed the name to Bolts. They changed the name because it harkened back to a tragic, tragic bombing that happened in 1963 Ooh. where some white supremacists bombed the 16th, 16th street baptist church and injured a bunch of people but also killed four little black girls
1: Ooh.
0: like these girls were no older than 10 years old so of course this massive tragedy that you know should never be forgotten you know this is the reason why they changed from the blast to to the bolts it's like you know in germany they don't call elimination chamber elimination right, chamber right you know what i'm saying it's just hmm. it's not good you know what i'm saying you don't want to bring up and harken back to those tragic times but think about this bombing and this tragedy that i didn't really know about because i knew about the bombing i knew about the 16th street bombing i knew why the blast or the bolts were you know that that was their new name they were also called the blast before that uh, but I, what I didn't know is that the people involved in the bombing, the the white supremacists, they were part of the KKK. They didn't go on trial for years, bro. Like they tried to investigate, like the FBI investigated, like when after it happened, and they didn't have enough "quote unquote" evidence to put them on trial. It's like, oh, we don't have enough here to get convictions, so we're not going to do it. And then they, you know really let me wind back step back a second the, the whole the bombing of this incident was one of the major things that kind of got the civil rights act to be passed in 1964 which is funny that people are using that white people of all people are using this civil rights act to say today to say they don't have to wear masks because of religious reasons <sighs> in in public places i literally saw a video about this yesterday the day before yesterday where a white person's use is Referring to the Civil Rights Act of 1964, you mean that same act that told white people they couldn't kill black people with no repercussions, <laughs> <laughs> like that type of... Now you're using this for your own benefit? Get out of town. Oh my goodness. But but these dudes were not even put on trial for decades until somebody reopened the case and in like 2000. So there's a thing. These guys were put on trial again in 2000, just earlier... In wow. the year before wow. Armageddon, so of course they came up with the name, the blast, but they probably weren't even on trial yet when they came up with that name. So it's like here's a tragedy where the justice had not been served yet, and people are still angry about it. Specifically, I'm sure black people, and they were like, "Well, we got to change this name. It can't. They can't be the blast." But eventually, uh, I think it was four guys who were. Named as the people who responsible for it, one guy died at ninety four, never having even been put on trial. Never even went to court for it. The other three guys were tried and convicted, sentenced to life in prison. But it's just, I mean, it just made me think about because obviously this is already a tragedy. You know, mm. you feel terrible that the fact these four innocent black girls were murdered for no reason. And nothing happened, but then, then you're on top of that, nothing happened after that. And then I just watched the show, uh, Mindhunters, on Netflix. It's about the FBI when they were first starting to kind of get inside the minds of serial killers. Because people in the 70s, 60s and 70s they didn't know what serial killers were. They didn't think that people could just kill like that. So the FBI was trying to put together profiles of serial, serial killers. And then they... Got in the second season. I'm not really spoiling it, no Say, but they (laughs) go after the serial killer in Atlanta who was killing, kidnapping, and killing black children in Atlanta. I mean, and there was like damn near thirty kids that were getting that were kidnapped and murdered, and the cops just didn't do anything about it. Like they just, they were just lazy ass cops who didn't really try to find the killer of these kids, and they were black kids from the inner city and the FBI came in and did the did pretty much all the cops work for them and eventually they do find the killer and they convict him or whatever but it's just another instance of why people feel like why black people feel like and we know this to be the true that black lives feel like they don't matter and that's what I'm saying we do matter because but but they feel like they don't because the government don't do nothing when innocent lives are lost. Like this bombing in 1964, when those kids were getting kidnapped and murdered in the late seventies, or name a police shooting in the last 20 years, you know, and that black life didn't seem like it mattered. So yeah, I know this is different way off topic from Armageddon, but seeing that those Birmingham bolts players and thinking about the name and then not thinking about why the name had been changed. And it just, I just kind of, piece together a bunch of dots there maybe think about all that stuff uh and it and it upset me but you know there were some birmingham Bulls players i guess so well,
2: i appreciate uh you uh you know quite literally diving deep into that i had no clue about that so i just learned something you know listening to that i had no clue that the team the sfl team was even named the birmingham Blast. like i had no clue it was that first and then the name changed i was gonna say hey birmingham bolts what a sweet name you know that was basically my uh you know input on this and um but i'm glad that you did that and that's something that hopefully our listeners have learned and uh that's something i had no idea about so i'm i'm glad that you you know mentioned that
0: yeah it's uh again you gotta um you know some you know some and, and i'm not blaming the, you for it It's and, just and, our education system just right. doesn't teach this type and of stuff and that's
2: the thing like i'm far from the only one that doesn't know about this and just because it happened in the 60s doesn't mean it's not relevant today you know and that's right. what so many people are missing so many white people are missing it's like oh uh, well it didn't it happened way back then things are better now i say i Like stop, stop poo-pooing it. Like that's where the lack of empathy comes in. That's where we need as a society and as white people to understand why, you know, black people feel this way and why Black Lives Matter. It's not, it's not a saying. It's not saying that other lives don't matter. It's, it's just that the people that don't have that empathy and have the ability to listen. That's that's just listen. Um, that's the problem in today's society. I just had, you know, people, family members, you know, uh, unfriended me on Facebook because they don't agree with my, uh, they say political, uh, you know, sides, and it's like, hey, racism's not political, so I mean, it's, <laughs> right. it's, it's made political by people, but uh, it shouldn't be, and it's a damn shame. But uh, we're still here in 2020, and that's that stuff is right. still happening, and. Uh, you know, I'm all for learning and and stuff like that. And yeah, I had no idea that even the XFL team was named the Birmingham Blast, and then they changed the name. Like, I had no clue about that, and then let alone the reason why. So, I right. do appreciate you dropping that knowledge.
0: Yeah, Is that and and apparently, there was a, a bombing of an abortion clinic in 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 the area too, in like a couple years before the XFL came to be. Wow. So it's that too. Um, but yeah, it's just. <clears throat> people like I said, when people learn about these things, it, it really takes them aback. Like when people saw Watchmen on HBO Yeah, yeah. And they saw the, the uh the Tulsa bombing mm-hmm. and it's like a lot of people didn't know about that. And it was just like people were like that can't be real. They didn't just slaughter black people like that for and with no repercussions and it was like no that that happened. Like <laughs> like this because this is Watchmen doesn't mean everything is fantasy. No, that was reality bro. And even talked about it and showed an episode about it on the uh the lovecraft lovecraft country show yeah. as well yep about tulsa and it's like this stuff happened and nothing happened like after that it wasn't like a big outrage or a big outcry just like nope that's it a bunch of black people are dead now you know and again this stuff isn't taught and how are people supposed to know like because when they find out that's when they're like whoa but they yeah, don't they, know, and, and
2: they find out. They get all defensive because, like, well, if this right. happened, then I would have been, I would have been taught it. It's Like, no, that's exactly why you weren't taught it right. because, or I didn't revisit. do it.
0: I had <laughs> nothing to do with it. But yeah, but it, <laughs> exactly. your understanding is a symptom of a larger problem in our country. Just like, uh I forget the guy's name, Philly reporter who tweeted about Jalen Hurts' tongue being out. Oh yeah, uh, Rust Rust I'm sure you saw it crossing broad. Yeah. And he and he said, "Oh, it's Gene Simmons." And every black person and every for every member of the fraternity, Omega yeah. Phi Psi, was like, "What?" <laughs> and every and every black person was like, "Huh? <laughs> like, <laughs> like that's not what he's doing at all." Uh, or Omega Psi Phi. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say the fraternity name wrong. Uh, but you you know, Q Dogs. You know, every member of that fraternity was like, "No, <laughs> like." That's not what he's doing. I didn't know that he had joined the fraternity recently. I thought he was already always in the fraternity uh, in Omega Sci Fi, but he had joined it recently apparently. But no, he's doing his fraternity thing. You know, they throw up the hooks and they stick the tongue out like that's their thing. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just it's just a symptom of like. And he took it to his credit. The the, the writer or the reporter, whoever you know, I don't know what exactly what he does. He he say cross and broad right. Yeah. He, he took it on the chin because this thing went viral. That video got over a million quick. views. It <laughs> was whack. I was like, oh boy. Like, I think Titus O'Neill quote tweeted it. It was oh, wow. bad. Like, <laughs> so I know he got heat and he did not expect that heat, but he learned a hard lesson. Yeah, And he took it on the chin. He was like, look, you know, my bad. I didn't know. Thanks for educating me. But it's a, it's a symptom of a larger problem in that there's so many things people don't know about our culture. Like, black fraternity culture i'm not in a fraternity but it's a part of black culture because we know either you know somebody either you're in one or you know somebody that's in one and and not just you don't have have to go to college to know what the divine nine fraternities are and those organizations are the sororities and stuff like that you could just you know somebody i go to black neighborhood you probably don't see a bumper sticker or or a license plate or something somebody in a fraternity or sorority You know what I'm saying? Or you got a cousin. you got an uncle. you got your mom or your sister, wherever, You know somebody that's probably been in one or that isn't one. So it's just so ingrained in our culture, but it's not nowhere near known. And it's only nine of them. It's not like it's like 20,000 of them. It's only nine. And they only exist because, you know, black people weren't allowed to join the other ones. So they create our own. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? We only got nine. But there's a very, the people are very prideful in that. They take that very serious. And be, and if it's serious to them, I respect it. 100%. It means a lot to them. 100%. You know what I'm saying? The, the one thing I had an issue with
2: was people, uh, you know, obviously white people saying, ah, it's not that big of a deal. He didn't mean anything by it. Uh, credit. I mean, it's just a
0: frat. It's like cr-
2: Yeah, credit to him for leaving that tweet up and probably educating a lot of people. And I was one yeah. of them. By the way, like I didn't like the tweet. I didn't care for it, um, but uh, you know, I, I saw how, how much it meant to to
0: black people, and it means a uh, lot. The, you know, it's not just it's and, not just about the, the fraternity. I mean to cut you off, Nick, but it's not, not just bad. about the fraternity because it means a lot to the people involved in the organization, mm-hmm. and that means a lot to everybody else in the black community too. Exactly. Too. So exactly. it's it's a part of it's, a, it's honestly it's a part of our culture. You know, people in that, even if you're not involved in it. You look at people on the Eagles. Malcolm Jenkins played there for six years, and he would throw up the hooks every game, and people just ignored it. Apparently, but yeah,
2: I guess it was never caught on, you know, the Fox cameras, and that's why. I guess you know, that, that's where you, that's the social media today. You see something on TV, and he's probably looking at it as like, haha, Kiss Gene Simmons' tongue. Right. Uh, let me take a video of that and post it. Not thinking anything of it, but it was also a learning lesson for not only him but a lot of people, including myself, but who I didn't even know that fraternity existed.
0: So I do that's now. The problem is that white people can get away and yeah. go to the suburbs, go to rural areas, and be completely disconnected from black people. Right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? When it shouldn't be that way. It's like two countries here. It's like how mm-hmm. how is something so ingrained in our culture is just not known at all right you know what i'm saying like it's just and it's a big deal and you see all these these for members of this organization omega sci-fi they are everywhere i mean especially in athletics and stuff like that like i said titus o'neill vince carter michael jordan there's so many other members you look in the nfl there's countless dudes in the nfl that's part of that fraternity <laughs> like like i said malcolm jenkins is one of them he played here for years and you're an eagles fan and you never noticed that he could throw up those hooks every game <laughs> every time he made a play he did it he got the the, the the symbol on his arm, branded on his arm, like, and it's just ignored. So that's just again sidetracked. I know some people here are probably like, "What the hell are you talking about?" Because <laughs> we're not even from the U.S. We don't even know what the fraternities are or stuff like that. Uh, so I mean, if you're not from here, don't I guess you don't have to really worry about it too much. But if you're from here, look into it and just you know, our system, our education system needs to improve. And and and. They need to learn some stuff about us. You know what I'm saying? Like, about black people and what's important to us. What means something to us. You know what I'm saying? How you just be... You just see that... That's KISS! What? What the hell (laughs) would Jalen Hurts know about KISS? Like... (laughs) <laughs> he's gonna do a gene simmons
2: and what annoyed me and i, I did touch on it earlier was the people that are just like oh he didn't mean anything by it you know you can't be upset by that you oh uh, as no, a white BS. as a white man i am never gonna tell any anyone let alone black people how they should feel so uh you know you have every right to feel the way you do when, when you, you see something like that Look, uh, i'm not gonna say you're wrong
0: <laughs> right, if you're a part of that fraternity you have every right to be upset for because they're pretty much, he's pretty much dis not I guess, disrespected and and didn't recognize the organization that people work really hard to be a part of. Um, and if you're just a black person who aren't part of one of the divine nine organizations, you upset because it's like, hey man, this is like a symptom of the country that should be changed. Yeah, like exactly. we should do something about this. Exactly,
2: but, it's not just a tweet
0: to people. And no, you know it means it's, a lot.
2: Very much more that goes into that. And that's why as a white person, I don't speak on that shit because, <laughs> you know, it doesn't, I'm not one, I'm not a voice that needs to be heard when it comes to that, you know? And I'm not going to be like, Oh, it wasn't, you know, it was just a joke. It wasn't that bad. You know, like I will, I'm not that person and neither should anyone else be when something like that happens.
0: All right. So shout out to the members of uh, all the divine Eye organizations, uh, so not just Omega Sci-Fi, but all of them. So, uh, you know, nothing but respect for you guys. Yeah, I'm not like I said, not in a fraternity, not in a sorority, but i well, not, of course, not in a sorority, but not in a Greek <laughs> organization. But um, shout out to all of them. I see y'all, even though some people still don't know. Oh, it's just a frat boy. No, it's important, bro. This is a big deal mm-hmm. to a lot of people. So uh, much respect to all of them. But we got to move on. At some point, we got to talk about wrestling again, right? <laughs> um. We can Let's talk about those. wrestling again. We
2: can skip this one.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. Let's talk. Yeah, we, I guess we could. I mean, WWE Tag Team Championship, four corners match. Edge and Christian, Goodfather and Bull Buchanan, K Quick and Road Dogg, and the Dudley Boys. Um, I completely forgot that Father and Bull Buchanan were Tag Team Champions. Really?
2: I completely forgot that Road Dogg and K Quick were together in 2000. I thought it was like a 2002, 2003 thing. I, I thought like, it was wait, like what? a
0: 2001 thing. I didn't know 2000 either, but I thought it was like a 2001 thing. <laughs> I was like, attitude or so. they What? <laughs> yeah, but uh, I completely forgot they were tag team champions. I guess WWE was just giving the belt to anybody. Like, they're just bouncing the belts around a lot in <laughs> 2000, which was, I mean, not that was par for the course. Probably the one knock you can give against WWF in 2000 was that belts changed hands a lot. Yeah. Um. But let's talk about, for a second, K-Quick who is known as today of course as our truth ron killings and i look at ron our tr- truth and i think of the saying that we say in the black community is that black don't crack <laughs> and that for those who don't know what that means it means people black people tend to age very gracefully as compared to other ethnicities no knock nah, it's just that's just a saying we have um you know it's black don't crack but R-Truth is taking this to another level, bro. Even for a <laughs> black person. he, Bro, this is ridiculous. <laughs> what does R-Truth do to look exactly the same from what he did 20 years ago? I don't understand. He, It's like you, you, you transport him from 2000 into 2020 and no one would know the difference, bro. Other than his hair length.
2: <laughs> it is he incredible. He is
0: 48 years old he looks exactly like he did when he was 20 same body same shape same face skin it's exactly the same there's no wrinkles it's like how even the black person when they say black don't crack you can still see how this person is aged a little bit even if it's a good type of aging you can still see it right you can see how this person looks different from what they did in 2000 like booker t looks pretty good for his age right he still yeah. looks different from what he did in 2000. <laughs> he doesn't look exactly the same. <laughs> you know, it's some type of aging. Devon Dudley looks a little different, right? They're still in good shape, but they look different. They look You can tell there's some type of aging there. It's just a little bit. R Truth has an age a day. It's scary. <laughs> like, <laughs> It's honestly scary. I don't know why R Truth does, but shout out to R Truth. He's been around for years now in WWE. He's been around wrestling for years, obviously. He's still funny as all hell. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, shout out to our truth He probably drinks a lot of water. <laughs> I guess, man. Because his skin don't look different. His face don't no. look different. Like, he hasn't gained any weight in his face. He hasn't put on, like, you know, people might no, put on 10 pounds. Nope. He hasn't put on any weight. <laughs> like, like, he hasn't lost any of his hair. <laughs> he is not balding at all. Maybe he dies it, but, but that's it. He probably don't even die that.
2: Yeah, we don't even know, know what his not... facial hair looks like because he shaves. So
0: right, he probably has not one gray hair on his head. <laughs> like, he's like, naturally dark hair. Like, I don't know how he does it. Honestly, um, the only thing I really cared about this match is that Bubba Ray and Road Dogg had a funny spot when they were doing the same move and they punched each other. Um, I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, then they try to hit the 3D, Bubba messed up the 3D on Bull oh Cannon. Yeah, that was terrible. Messed it up really bad as if he had never done it before. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, you hadn't done that move hundreds of times.
2: Then he did another um, bad one to the good Father.
0: Yeah, it was better than the Bull Cannon one, at least. Still bad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> side note, I, t- I was a victim of a 3D one time in, in middle school. <laughs> Two of my homies caught me slipping in the, in the back of the auditorium and caught me good, and I was like, oh my god, my <laughs> ribs! Oh! I was hurt, man. So the 3D is legit move. I think it hurts. Like, oh, man. it sucks. That's but uh, at the end of the day, Edge and Christian won, and they were crowned four-time World Wrestling Federation mm-hmm. Tag Team Champions.
2: Did you see uh, the close-up of Road Dogg telling Christian to pull him down? <laughs> Oh, no, I did they, not. They had the camera on Road Dog, and he was like reaching for the tag, okay, quick. But he was like, Christian, pull me down. <laughs> <laughs> I it's great. You got to go back to it because it's clear as day. And the camera, the hard camera, is literally right on him. That's all you see is his face. And he's like, Christian, wow. pull me down. And that's when, you know, our Truth goes to tag Road Dog, and, and Christian pulls and him down. He
0: pulls Road Dog off. That's funny. That's really funny. I was just like, oh, that was bad.
2: Good job, Kevin. There's Tom. a lot
0: of there's a lot of talking in the next match too between in the Intercontinental Championship match between the one, mm-hmm. Billy Gunn. <laughs> what? Another one that I couldn't believe was in two
2: thousand. I'm like, wasn't this two thousand two? Like what? No. Two
0: thousand two. By, by two thousand two, Billy Gunn was in Billy and Chuck. Yeah, and it's just funny how
2: you know the timelines, it's been twenty years, and I'm just like Wait, the one Billy Gunn was in
0: 2000? That's before they bought WCW. It was incredible. I was just like, The one Billy Gunn and Crispin Watch. Speaking of Billy and Chuck, wasn't (laughs) that a very provocative tag team for that time period?
2: I I feel like today that would be
0: kind of provocative, but back then that was super provocative. I guess I didn't
2: think of it because I, I mean, being gay wasn't like crazy to me. The way it was to the rest of the right. world back then.
0: No, and so. and the same for me as well. But I'm thinking of, of the the world at large. Yeah, I, I guess. I guess people I, going like I liked it. I thought it was funny. Is this? I and can see people going like feeling super uncomfortable with that. <laughs> and maybe some to this till this day because some people are just yeah. not not comfortable with yeah. sexuality in that in that way. I like I said we we're cool with it. Like I thought right. it was great yeah. what they were doing. I thought I think making people feel uncomfortable in that way. Not in every way. Don't touch racism. You know, stuff like that. <laughs> but making people uncomfortable in that way and sparking that conversation about why do you feel uncomfortable? What's mm-hmm. wrong with it? Mm-hmm. I think that's a good thing. So yeah, that's just
2: me. I, I don't even remember the even what the message boards were saying at that point with Billy and John. Ooh, I'm, I'm sure it was ugly. I, I'm sure it was. Uh, I Honestly. And I'm not just saying it because it was I thought it was bad stuff. I just don't remember them uh, being a topic. I should say. Uh, I'm sure they were on some message boards, but the ones I went to, I was just looking for like spoilers and you know news, and that was it. I didn't really care about
0: anyone's opinion on anyone. Hate to spoil the outcome of this match. Crispin Wah wins, oh. and he's a new Intercontinental Champion. One thing I noticed is that Jr. pointed out the fact that Billy <laughs> had t- uh, earrings in his ear. Yeah, did he? Um, I mean. I thought at first he was talking about it like as if like he was like weirded out by the fact that he wore earrings, mm-hmm. but I thought, but it, then it made sense. It was like, well, you shouldn't wear them while you're wrestling because somebody could pull them out. I was like, yeah, that makes sense because I yeah. wouldn't wear earrings to the ring, especially hoop earrings. Yeah. Um. So Benoit worked over his knee. They, they had a lot of talking between the two during the match. Things didn't quite click between them, even though mm-hmm. both are really talented. Billy Gunn is another guy that looks pretty much exactly the same twenty years yeah. later. Yeah. He's av- actually probably more jacked than when he was in 2000. Um, but yeah, just nothing to see here, nothing special, and Benoit wins. I think um, it was
2: funny during the match. Jay Hart had mentioned uh, a previous promo of Triple H and Stephanie in the locker room. And- Jim Ross said it was weird hearing Triple H say the title is the most important thing in his life to his wife. <laughs> I thought the same yes. thing. I thought the same thing when that promo happened. And then hearing Jim Ross
0: say it later in the pay per view, I was like, oh, good. I did yes, I, I skipped didn't. right over that in my notes. But yes, because <laughs> I, I have it written down, but I skipped over it by mistake. <laughs> um, but yes, they did have a promo where Triple H is like putting on his knee pads and stuff. It's like, oh, my God, you're going to get hurt. It's like, this is <laughs> the most important thing in my life. Uh. It's like, what about your wife? Uh? <laughs> she's important great. too, right? Uh, yeah, she's supposed to be right. And she didn't never said anything. She never questioned the fact no, that no, was, that was. No, not he at said all. It
2: wasn't even like a bit dirty look. It was just like okay.
0: And but I thought I read, I did write down. That I thought this was a good promo from Triple H. Besides the fact that he said that the title is more important than his wife, essentially. But like, how much the title meant to him? Like, I don't care if I have to crawl. I don't care what happens to me. I gotta have the title. And it's like I'm passionate, and it's just like I love the promo. Like you said, I love the promos from this era because they felt real. I really felt like your place felt this way. That Which should really have been good, you know. The
2: title's supposed to be the most important thing to everyone, right?
0: <laughs> right, but your <laughs> wife is important too. <laughs> like that's the thing. So, um, moving on, we got an interview with Jr. and Steve Austin from earlier in the show. And another thing that didn't feel like a scripted and robotic segment. It felt like an actual conversation between two human beings. Hmm. It's like, what happened, WWE? Why did you do this? This was good. There's nothing wrong with this. This is perfectly fine. Um, But move on from that to the WWE Women's Championship. Between Molly Holly, Trish Stratus, and the champion, Ivory. And this match lasted all but what two minutes? Uh, if you're generous, that's embarrassing. Very much so. You mean to tell me you can shave off a couple minutes from the Kane uh, Jericho match, which went, <laughs> according to Wikipedia, sixteen minutes and forty eight seconds? My goodness, that could have went twelve. You couldn't shave off a couple minutes from Benoit and Billy Gunn, which went ten. This got two minutes and thirteen seconds. Mm. The intergender tag team match got eight. <laughs> That's come an opener. On. Right. Come on. This is... come on. They could have at least gotten five minutes out of this. I'll give them credit for the, this is why we talked about China not wanting the rest of the women. This is why. Because WWF didn't give them any time. They were an afterthought. Maybe they would have dedicated more time if China wasn't in division. But I don't blame China for being like, I don't care about them, so why should I? Like, I don't do anything with them. Uh,
2: it's not even realistic to have anyone beat her. So she's literally like the division. Like people would just lose to her if you wanted to in this era, you know, of China. Like China shouldn't lose to an Ivory or a Trish or a Molly Holly.
0: You know, she just shouldn't. Probably not, but this was this was bad. And I'll give them this credit, this much credit though, because Ivory, Molly, Holly, and Trish were all very talented. Mm-hmm. They got a lot done in those two minutes and thirteen seconds. Yeah. Like they went balls to the wall—no pun intended. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean it that way, not literally, but they went all out in this match for two minutes and thirteen seconds. A lot of different cool, unique spots. I like the one where I think—I um, forget—I think Molly or Trish monkey flipped the other, and they stood up right into. No, it was Molly. Trish monkey flipped Molly, but she landed on her feet. But she walked right into a clothesline from Ivory. I was like, "Oh, that was kind of dope." <coughs> Excuse me. And Ivory put some force behind that clothesline; like it was a good clothesline. Um, but as can as as soon as it started, it was over. Yeah. <laughs> and Ivory retained. And then the TNA came out to beat up Molly Holly. Crash Holly came out to save her. And then that brought out APA. They were returning. He they helped yeah. Crash and they beat up TNA, and I wrote that this match was pretty much a prelude to an angle after the match that involved the men. It mm. Really, the m- women were nowhere to be found in the post-match angle other than Molly, and they tossed her to the side, and the APA beat up TNA, and that was it.
2: Yep. That's a good point. And... So... I I just wrote, yeah. Ivory throws Molly out, pinser. That was really it. <laughs> Jeez. My yeah, favorite part of this was, was uh, Molly Holly's walk. Whenever she enters in that walk, like with her arms
0: and everything, <laughs> just cracks me up every time. Yeah, Molly Holly, very underappreciated, fantastic, great worker. Great worker. All through I think, all three of these women are WWE Hall of Famers. Is Molly Holly mm-hmm. in the Hall of Fame? Is she not? She should be, Uh, uh well, maybe she will she be. be. Um, but um, yeah, she was a hardcore champion. I forgot she was a hardcore champion for like at WrestleMania 18. <laughs> For a hot second. And then uh didn't well that was Christian slammed the door in her face. Um and won the title, took the title from her. So hmm. But uh yeah, Molly Holly, she should be in the Hall of Fame one day. She's great. She inducted um, Ivory into the Hall of Fame, so she should be. <laughs> right. I think she inducted Beth Phoenix too. Oh uh, no, Beth Phoenix acknowledged her. Hmm. So but yeah, she uh she, she probably got her recognition as a Hall of Famer one day. Um <clears throat> but seeing this segment, the post match reminded me of a video I just saw on Twitter a couple days ago. I don't know if you saw this. Somebody posted a video of Crash Holly running around WWF New York with the Hardcore Championship. Okay? This is something I had never seen before, I never knew it existed. <clears throat> He's running around WWF New York, hiding from people, uh, as always, and he runs into Samuel Jackson, who's pretending to be Shaft. Remember, Shaft came out like in 2000, (laughs) a a new version of Shaft. Not Richard Roundtree, though, it's Samuel Jackson. Yeah. And he runs into Samuel Jackson slash Shaft, and Shaft is sitting here with this woman, and he's like, hey, you know, you're John Shaft, okay? I need some protection. I got people coming after me. They try to beat me, try to take my belt. Can you help me? And he's like, "Did you get with the APA?" He's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, but I got heat with them, you know. Can you help me?" And he looks at his woman, and she gives like a nod, and he's like, "All right, you're in luck, little man. She likes you." So they cut to like another segment where now here comes Patterson and Brisco with a referee, <laughs> and they walk up the shaft, <laughs> and Crash Holly's gone. He's like, "Hey, have you seen a little guy running around here with the, with the hardcore titles? like, "Oh, little guy look like Edward Jetson, yeah, with a big ugly belt." Yeah, and he's like he throws a table out of the way, and he's like, "I'm protecting him." Like you know, you ain't gonna touch him. Then like, well, then Gerald Briscoe's like, "Wait, well, took my belt." And he's like, "You a little guy like that take your belt?" <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and Pat Patterson goes, "Oh, you're John Shaft," and Shaft <laughs> falls off and punches Patterson in the face. <laughs> and Patterson falls on the couch behind him, and Briscoe just falls down with him for some reason. And he looks at the camera and goes, You damn right I am. And that's the end of it. That was the end of the video. Like, Where did this come from? Did not see that. Do not remember that. Oh my god. I'll send <laughs> you the tweet. It's hysterical. Um it's so funny. But that's that's what I got out of this. This was that was it. So uh, we got another flashback to uh, mankind falling off the cage, and then we cut to a rock promo, and then I realized this was the rock's one and only Hell in a Cell match. Oh, wow. Never had one. I guess he's like, man, I'm about to be in movies. I ain't doing this crazy <laughs> stuff. Uh, but it's also the case for Kurt Angle who's like, I'm an Olympic gold medalist. I ain't doing that crazy stuff. And Rikishi, who just wasn't in the main events enough to <laughs> get hell the some matches. So I'm sure he would have done plenty of them if he could given a chance. Hey, man, with the Roman Reigns storyline, do you think it's possible? Stop it right now. <laughs> the Usos and
2: Rikishi versus Roman Reigns. And who else? In the hell in a cell, no handicap match.
0: Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> but I wrote down the, the Rock's promo. <clears throat> he stopped and paused. Yes, he would just stop and pause and wait for the Rocky Chance. Man, that's, that's good so stuff. Great, that's so great. He was, great. he would just literally he's talking and he just stopped, and you could hear the Rocky Chance build up and build up, and it's just like. Oh, I hear him. All right, now I'm going to keep going. It's like, <laughs> man, that's when you got the juice, bro. When you when you just stop and go silent for like 10 seconds and people fill in the, that, that air with chants. They're chanting your name. And he would just say, chanting my name, and they would do it. <laughs> for the millions and millions. Like, like, it's wild stuff, wild stuff. So here we are, the main event, the reason why we're here, the reason why this show is even watchable 20 years later it's time for the wwe championship six man in the hell in a cell kurt angle defending against the rock undertaker steve austin triple h and of course rikishi and i wrote that this was the culmination of a year's worth of stories because of course we got steve austin has heat with rikishi and triple h because of what happened the year prior after they ran him over but that kurt angle and undertaker had been feuding since the summer the Rock had heat with Rikishi because I did it for The Rock, and they were family and all this and that. And I guess Rikishi could have considered The Rock an ungrateful family member. But also, Rock and Triple H had heat from earlier in the year, and then Steve Austin always had heat with The Rock from like '98, like in '97. It was just—it's like the whole year, and this was like the, the the grand finale of the year, which is big match. These six guys who had their own separate things going, they just threw them all in there. And to one big match. And, and on the surface, you would think that this match would not work. It would be a cluster. There's too many things involved. And then, of course, they added in Vince McMahon later on. And Mick Foley. Oh, this is just too much. It's a mess. This worked perfectly. It was great. <laughs> like, I got so many notes from this match. Because <laughs> it was so much fun. Starting off with the video package, hyping the match. Unbelievable. It was <laughs> fantastic. Mm-hmm. It was great then we get to the entrances i wrote that i don't know if you noticed that triple h's music was like this weird version of my time it was like a was, instrumental uh, version of it
2: it's my time like the one that he has or is it the game the game he, is
0: the one that we know that's the mo- that's the motorhead one. Oh, uh, so but the one before that was called my time okay that so. was a chris warren song that they didn't use his voice on this it was like a v- instrumental okay
2: well maybe it's just because the network
0: uh, no that's that was just, that was the actual song
2: oh okay i didn't notice <laughs> i just thought it was like that old theme that i hated so i didn't pay attention to it because <laughs> the game theme is like my favorite and the best so yeah his other one that, around this time
0: uh i love that song I just that's a great song man yeah oh, i loved it i loved it uh kurt angle comes out he didn't signal for his pyro no. Which I thought was a nice touch, because this is a serious was. match. So you ain't got time was. to signal for the pyro. Huh? Scared as hell. Right. And also it's something that I think WWE should do every time somebody comes out, especially when it's a woman, all the women have like a pose on the stage or something. Yeah. But even when they like doing a run in, they'll do their little pose. It's like, bruh, this is <laughs> this is urgent. Like get to the ring. Or like this is not the time to do the pose. You don't have to do the pose every single time. Like Everybody get their thing that they did, that they do their routine instead of just walking out like a normal person. They got their little thing. Roman Reigns puts his fist in the ground, or well, he doesn't really do that anymore. But Seth <laughs> the, just used to do thing with the fire, <laughs> yeah, or whatever. Like it's just like just get to the ring, like do your thing in the ring. Maybe I don't know. It's just I don't know. Um, but he also did not get in the cell right away. He kind of lingered outside and hid and yeah. trying to hide and it's like scared of everybody <laughs> including the undertaker. He looked terrified of the undertaker who had to walk to the ring because they had a cage couldn't mm, ride the bike. Nah. But once he gets into the ring or to, into the cell, he like swipes at the ref for no reason. The ref like, Whoa, yeah. "Oh my god."
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's like, "Relax,
0: man." Right. So that was that was another thing I noticed. Uh Austin comes out uh to his disturbed theme which is okay. Uh, yeah. It's not the classic theme, obviously, yeah. but he starts off the match, not by getting in the cell, by pump faking, act like he's getting into the cell <laughs> and then chasing Kurt Angle right away and knocking him down, which, and then throwing him into the cell, which I thought was another <laughs> nice touch. It's like these characters are living, breathing human beings and they make decisions based off of their character, not just robots. So Austin would do something like that. Something Austin would do. Undertaker swiping at the referees, that's something he would do. They lived and breathed in this world. Kurt Angle not getting right into the cell because he's kind of scared. He's not used to this. He's an Olympic gold medalist, medalist. That's something he would do. And it's like they're living, breathing people in this world where today they're, they're just not. They just like go to the ring, wait for the announcers to do their thing, the, the, the ring announcer, and then you start fighting. <clears throat> Just like there's no spontaneity, and you saw it all in this match. You saw a lot of it in this match, where they just made they they're allowed to make decisions based off of their character. So I enjoyed that.
2: Yeah. Uh, and you saw Earl Hebner, you know, use his stupid character
0: to make dumb. Okay. Decisions. Okay. Here we go. There are a lot of referees <laughs> in this match. You had to sing a lot. Earl Hebner. There's a ton of them. <laughs> Oh, there's six guys it was gotta... hilarious
2: though i was like whoa 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 <laughs> this is a lot but yes this i did a lot. Uh, i had to say earl hebner because i actually posted the video like a few months ago about him and this it was in this match where uh, i guess austin is pummeling triple h or someone and earl hebner looks back realizes the camera's on him and then tries to half-assedly uh make austin stop and i'm just like man get crap. out of here with that crap
0: get down <laughs> get down from there so we start off the match everybody kind of pairs off i think rock goes with rikishi austin goes to triple h yeah, yeah uh undertaker goes with kurt angle then they start you know fighting each other there's alliances like you know triple h turns on rikishi <laughs> at some point they break that alliance there were stories being told in this match including, including yes. the Vince man stuff um, but then you got Austin dragging Triple H's head all mm. the way around the ring. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. From one side of the cage to the other, and I wrote that Triple H spent the most of the match bouncing off the cage. <laughs> <laughs> Austin was throwing him into the cage. Undertaker was throwing him to the cage. The Rock did it too. And it's like, there's it a heck, Triple H earned his paycheck on that night. And he's also <laughs> the first to bleed. So, and I wrote that blood is missing in Hell in sell Cell matches to this day. I understand that it's PG, and they don't bleed. There's no, no blood policy, but I I w- it's like maybe make an exception for cage matches i would appreciate it Same. if it's only for that one type of match i think yeah. would we'll add to it yeah
2: i mean how are you going to be inside a steel cage and not and, and actually meet it with your head and then not bleed like come on that's not realistic
0: it just feels like it's part of pro wrestling like exactly cage match blood like <laughs> i don't i don't know otherwise what's the point Right? Like, I don't know. That's yeah. just my feeling on it. Um, I'm with you. But the, here's when the match kicks up in high gear. <laughs> okay? Because they're all fighting nice. in the cage or throwing each other into the cage. But then out comes Vincent Kennedy McMahon <laughs> in the back of that truck. And he's standing tall in the back of the truck with Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe and they back the truck up to the, to the cell and again, this is with Vince McMahon. He makes decisions based off of his character. And he does everything turned up to 11. He hops off the truck. And he sells it so big. He's like, ow, 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 ow. ow it hurts so bad.
2: <laughs> is that even way, the focus. <laughs> the way he sold it.
0: This is, like, so different. And it's amazing. I love it's it. It's so good. So good. But then they hook up the... Some clamps or whatever to the door. And they yank the door off. <laughs> of the cell so this is how the guys get out of the cell but before that they back the truck up again back it up again back it up again and I wrote down everything that Vince McMahon was saying during this part this is my favorite part because they're backing the truck up and they're trying to hook it up to the thing again to the cage and he says I'm going to take the whole damn thing down I want the whole damn thing to come down hook that son of a bitch up I'm going to take this cage back to Connecticut (laughs) I'm going to take it all the way back I'm gonna take the cage down, and he's just yelling it. And (laughs) I'm gonna take the whole damn thing down. I thought that was funny as hell. Vince was just hamming it up to ten or eleven, I should say. (laughs) It's so good. I wrote that down. So take the whole damn thing down. (laughs) He's
2: like, (laughs) I'm gonna take the trucks gonna like the trucks really gonna have the cell follow it. Like,
0: oh yeah, (laughs) and not hit anybody on the way out. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, classic,
0: classic stuff. Then Foley comes out. He's arguing with Vince. Vince has got the stupid facial expresses on. Like, hold on a second. Wait, hold yeah. on now. Yeah. <laughs> and then Mick Foley like does this weird like look. head this weird look in his eye all of a sudden, and then he just punches Pat Patterson and <laughs> Joe Briscoe, <laughs> like, <laughs> knocks them down. And then, before Vince gets a chance to hit uh, Mick Foley with his cane, I believe a whole bunch of security comes out and drags Vince away. Says, oh, <laughs> this is my damn show! I <laughs> own this company. <laughs> <laughs> I own this damn place. Like <laughs> <laughs> they like drag The him arena? Out. The arena? Like what? I guess for the night he got it, but they drag him out of there. <clears throat> and eventually, they start the wrestlers start making their way out of the cage and to the junkyard cars. And this is when Steve Austin uses a camera (laughs) to hit Triple H. And Triple H big sells it, falls backwards in the car. Oh, God! Uh, That camera barely hit his leg. And he's like, whoa! (laughs) And and they actually... uh,
2: Go ahead. I was just saying, like, I... they told us that the only way the match ends is in the ring. So I just didn't understand. I understood like climbing up the cage, but while Triple H was walking towards the back, started to do that. I was like, "What?" I thought the title was the most important thing to you, dude. Um, but it gave more. gave it. <laughs> yeah, it gave us that that great uh, Austin using the swinging camera and
0: hitting Triple H. That was that was hilarious. He's like, "I'm getting here. I'm going back to my wife. She's <laughs> the most important thing to me now. Yeah, right. <laughs> She's the most important thing in the world, baby. I'm coming home." <laughs> Steve Austin said, no, nah, no. Nah. Uh-uh. <laughs> take this take this camera to the to the knee.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I thought the replay of that was hysterical. Eventually, Triple H threw Austin's face through a truck window, though. Yeah. Yep. Now he's busted open. And then Triple H pedigreed the rock on top of a car. And, he, <laughs> like, and then he's, he's busted, busted open. So Triple H is handing out cans of whoop ass. <laughs> <laughs> Left and right. So you got that. The angle hits Triple H, H not Triple H, the Undertaker with a chair busts him open. He's bleeding, blood's everywhere. Yep. Um, Then they work their way back to the cell. Triple H climbs up the cell, and Steve Ross is on the hunt. He's trying to grab him. He almost pulled his trunks down. The (laughs) women went, "Ah!" But you know they didn't quite all get all the way down. So Austin again, a character that thinks like a person, not like a robot used logic said you know i'm not gonna uh-huh. chase you i'm gonna climb down go to the other side and meet you on top yeah. of the cage <laughs> <laughs> yep. and triple H stupid ass looking down like where did he go he disappeared <laughs> i got rid of him <laughs> right but I, I put that when he when triple H met when austin met triple H at the top of the cell and austin's throwing those punches boy the crowd was going crazy to the point that I, I taught it the NWA sound when he's throwing the punches and the people are going, whoo, whoo, whoo. <laughs> it's like, I don't. Did you hear that? WWF shows a lot. Maybe you did. I, I got to go back and watch them. <clears throat> but man, those fans in Alabama, that's NWA. Ter- that's Mid-South Territory. Yeah. That's Southern Wrestling. They did that <laughs> back in the day, man. They still was doing that. Ooh, ooh. So they were going crazy. And then Angle and Undertaker climbs up just as Steve Austin hits the stun on top of the cage. All hell is breaking loose in this Hell in a Cell match. Um, and then Angle gets his head rammed into the support beam. He starts bleeding. <laughs> yeah. So everybody in the match is bleeding except Rikishi, it <laughs> seems like. He's the only one bleeding, but he, he gets his. Yeah. Don't worry.
2: Well, that's funny because <laughs> I never really put two and two together until this.
0: So yeah he didn't need to bleed Uh. (laughs) he had internal bleeding (laughs) he
2: was like hell if i'm doing that i'm not i'm not bleeding
0: (laughs) (laughs) right for what like what's the point yeah um so eventually undertaker threatens the timekeeper to throw him a chair he does (laughs) after multiple attempts Uh. (laughs) oh was hilarious i don't know if that was supposed to happen like I think he was supposed to get it on the first try. We weren't yeah, supposed yeah, to notice. That's what I thought, yeah. And but, then they
2: did the far angle, and then I know you know you notice the first attempt and then uh like the aerial view, and then they go to the far side, and you could hear the crowd finally cheer once he gets it up there the third time.
0: Right. I don't think they were supposed to shoot him throwing the chair to him, but we got it anyway. Um But like
2: that, that this is the problem. Like we should have, because how is the Undertaker gonna get a chair on top of the cage. Yeah. If we don't see him bring it up, like why not just shoot that and be
0: like, "Oh, Undertaker threatening the Timekeeper to throw him the chairs," so that's well, what's happening. Jr. and King covered it up by saying that he threatened the Timekeeper. Oh, okay, so it was like they didn't acknowledge it. They actually said that.
2: Okay,
0: I missed so that. So that that's why I got that he threatened the Timekeeper from because they it. said that. So kudos to them. If that wasn't if that wasn't supposed to happen, kudos to see them for covering that, it up.
2: Hey, they they covered so many holes. It's great, right? That's all I want in my pro wrestling
0: is logic. <laughs> <laughs> While that's happening, Rikishi somehow climbs his big old ass up that cage. <laughs> I don't know how he did it. He's a, he's a very athletic man. I will give him credit for that because that's not easy to do. Car- carry all that weight up there, especially in that ass. Like, that's, not, that's not a lot. That's not easy to do. While that's happening, Undertaker smashes Kurt Angle in the head with the chair yeah that was bam uh, but they had a great shot from underneath yeah when he you see Kurt Angle fall back onto the to the top of the, to the cell and you see him like kind of bounce off the chain link it's like damn that was a great shot yeah of that happening um I thought that was a great camera shot but you notice who didn't climb up at all <laughs> the people champion the rock Because, again, he like, look, I'm about to be in movies, fam. I ain't risking my life for this. I'll give y'all a little blood, but that's it. I ain't climbing up that cell. I ain't going up there. (laughs) Y'all must be crazy. I ain't going up there. Y'all, I've got it. Y'all get it. Y'all get it. I got it. Y'all got it. So Undertaker beats up Rikishi, chokes him, gives him the goozle. And here comes the big spot, because in the back of that truck was like a bunch of, I don't know what it was. I guess oh, it was yeah. supposed to be padding or bedding or some sort. <clears throat> but anyway, it, it made for a soft landing for Rikishi, who was tossed off that cell by the Undertaker. A good 15 feet, so to speak. And on JR's podcast, I read how, like, Dave Meltzer said, like, oh, it's obviously not real, and there's so much padding, it didn't look that dangerous, but it shouldn't be that dangerous. I was like, bro, did you hear the fans in the crowd when he (laughs) fell off that cell? They went out of their minds seeing a man fall 15 feet to his potential death. (laughs) Like, (laughs) they could not get enough of that. No. But I also like the touch of... The camera shots of the wrestlers reacting to that, too. Yes, yes. They all look like, whoa, <laughs> this like, is going down.
2: It's funny. Austin was like looking, and then his eyes, like, wandering. And you're just like... Right, like, of like, the, the Way. Rock. The Rock's just, like, trying to get to his feet and just kind of like, oh. I don't know if they had anyone else, uh, but the, fir- the first ones I noticed were Austin and The Rock, and it was, like, yeah, just their reactions, and I was like, that's great. I thought that was dope. It was like, it's Austin... Hey, Rikishi got his. And then you go to Austin, and then The Rock, you know, like tried to set him up and stuff. So I thought those two reactions were really well done.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, So then we get a face off between (laughs) The Rock and Steve Austin, and the people went banana. (laughs) And at that moment, if you were watching this and you were an educated fan in 2000, at that moment, you had to have known that Steve Austin and The Rock were going to main event WrestleMania. I didn't. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how, though. Uh, They're the two top guys. They face off at the end of the match. They have that stare down. And it's like, yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll be willing to see that again. Because <laughs> they had to face each other in two years. You'd be like, yep, I'm, I'm down for that. <laughs> like, I'm here. And they I mean, did it. I- I didn't
2: think about WrestleMania until like after the Rumble. So as a 15-year-old, I'm not thinking WrestleMania
0: at this well, point. But it was obviously were,
2: obviously a perfect uh, start to that.
0: Right. Maybe if you were a 35-year-old fan back in 2000, you might have seen it coming. <laughs> maybe. Uh, but next thing you, that happens is my, one of my favorite things to see in wrestling is Steve Austin deliver a stunner to The Rock. And you get a fantastic cell from The Rock where he does like a pirouette and his feet lands on the ropes. <laughs> and it's like, there's no yeah. one better than taking so, a stunner than The Rock.
2: So The Rock had a hell of a cell in. There you go. A hell of a cell. And, a cell. Damn. Fuck. Of course I messed that up. Let me try it's again. All right. Let, me try again. Going Let me try again. Let me try again. Let me try again. So you're telling me The Rock <laughs> had a hell of a cell in the Hell in a Cell.
0: Oh, that's, that's right. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, I'm not editing that. I'm just leaving everything. Out. That, that's, it for, <laughs> that's it for show right on. All
2: right. I actually wrote that down. I was like, hell in the cell with the S-L-M-A-O.
0: There you go. <laughs> there you go. The Rock did it. So unfortunately for Steve Austin, though, <laughs> yeah. he tried to pin The Rock. Didn't work out. He got choke slam or something like that, right? I believe he got choke slam.
2: Uh, well, it was like a weak pin, and then I think Triple H came in, and then he was gonna do the stunner to Triple H, but Triple H turned it into a neckbreaker. So yeah, like yeah, right. Yep. Yeah, that yeah, was so that, that was, was I... very that was a very good way to kind of write them off to right. give them a reason why they're not
0: breaking up. A pin. as they're selling, Angle literally yeah. puts his arm on top of the Rock. <laughs> yeah. Trawls over and just his arm and gets the pin. Great, and timing. he retains the title. And I just wrote, What a match! Like, it's so 2000 had a knack, WWF in 2000 had a knack for overbooking but yet making it feel perfect. Like, Backlash 2000, so much happened in that match that to the point that people today might be like, Oh man, this is overbooked, like, it's too much going on. But in 2000, because everyone was so over. It didn't even matter. You could put six people in a hell in a cell, have Vince McMahon involved, Mick Foley involved. They go out of the cell. They fight on cars. There's a camera involved. They're on top of the cell. Somebody gets tossed off. <laughs> and regardless of all of that, it worked. That's 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 the benefit of having people that are over. You got to build this WWF and AEW. You got to build your stars. They got to be over. They People got to care about them. They gotta be invested in them, and you can get away with doing a stupid six-man hound or some matches. <laughs> you can do it makes your job so much easier because you do simple things, even just little things, and it works. Like Linda McMahon standing up out of the chair, people go crazy. So Angle wins the match. I think this really helped Angle from a standpoint that he wasn't known as a tough guy before this, and I think this showed that he could hang and bang with the toughest, even though he didn't really do a bunch of violent stuff, but he took an ass-whooping, and he kept coming back. <laughs> so, he's standing up, beating and battering and bleeding, and he gently holds up the belt, because he's hurting, and then out of the clear blue sky comes Steve Austin, and hits him with a stunner. <laughs> That's like, his music was playing, and then Austin hits that stunner, and was, you might as well have inserted in a record scratch, like, <laughs> and they started playing Steve Austin's music right after that. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And that was the end of the show. And that was <laughs> Armageddon 2000. One
2: change I would have made at the end there. Okay. To just kind of bring things full circle. Uh, you choke slam Rikishi off the top of the cage, and then you just chill there. Like, come on. You're... It would have been That's hilarious true. if he was. He started to come down when Angle pinned the rock. So at mm. least you have, like... Okay, Angle pins the rock, and then you kind of pan... To Undertaker just kind of looking while he's on the cell climbing down, like that to me would have been funnier and and better. And because my first thought was, where the hell is the Undertaker? Because he chokeslamper Rikishi off the top of the cell, but that was like two or three minutes ago. Like he should be back in the ring by now. And I had noticed in one of the camera angles they had that he was just laying on top of the cell. It was like, you just chokeslammed the guy off there. You were fighting up there. Like you're not dead. Come on. <laughs> like get down. Uh, and I thought it would have been just funnier to have that visual, but all in all, a f- five out of five.
0: Yeah, it was great. Um, this was in our house. I saw a bracket from a, a little while ago, uh, a couple weeks ago, I should say, um, and it deserved to be in that bracket because it was a dope match, and um, it just worked somehow. It just worked, and then they made it happen.
2: Six people, and you had like, what? Four or five stories going on throughout the course right. of the match. That was at least, and it made sense. Everything made sense. You know, fifteen-year-old watching this, I don't, I didn't care. I just wanted to, to see who won, uh, blood, you know, whatever these spots. Uh, you know, I didn't care about the story aspect as much back then. Uh, but it was just funny how much the story matters in terms of pro wrestling that, you know, I grew up and I realized like just how important the story is to wrestling in general. And, uh, that's why now at 35, I prefer wrestling that has great stories. And this match had a ton of
0: them. Yeah, it was, it worked out. It worked out beautifully. And again, 2000, it's just stuff. was just working, man. It was clicking on all cylinders. What was one of my favorite, it's not my favorite year in wrestling history. So what a better way to end the show than that with that great match. So, Nick, that's right. take us out with some plugs, please.
2: All right. You can follow me at Nick Picone on Twitter. Follow us at Shooters Radio on Twitter. Facebook at Facebook.com slash Shooters Radio. And you could find this podcast at PhillyInfluencer.com and PhillyVoice.com.
0: I am at Vaughn M. Johnson on Twitter. Uh, you can't find me there. You probably won't find me out here in these trees, especially now because it's a pandemic and it's a snowstorm here in Philly. We didn't talk about the weather at the top of That's the show. Crazy. That's wild. Well, we was. got plenty of weather now. Dude,
2: I use my air conditioner on Saturday and now I'm going to be shoveling snow on Wednesday.
0: Right. But we usually talk about weather when it's like nothing and now we got all the weather. We didn't talk about the weather, which I'm just disappointed in that. But yeah, we got a snowstorm. I picked the perfect week to move. <laughs> Damn it and last week like you said 60 degrees oh. it's hot mm. no precipitation would have been a great week but nope i needed you know, to to more. i wanted
2: the 19th not the 12th if we didn't have that conversation about the little giants uh, i don't i would have led with the weather but oh, well, i changed it up
0: i'd rather have the little giants discussion it was worth it so and this show was worth it episode 264 is in the books So, for Nick McCone and I am Vaughn Johnson, thanks for listening to episode 264 of The Straight Shooters, and we'll catch you all again next week. Peace.